Like oh yeah, is. he looked confused by the concept of his own hand. shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl it's the week where the mighty have fallen we don't have any undefeated teams left so hey we got connor here we've got sean hello and we got ronan hello how are we getting on lads how's tricks down in waterford sean not much going on at the moment still uh recovering from the trauma of ireland's epic defeat found in a way to lose another rugby quarterfinal which i think is eight now which is quite a record to have aside from that nothing else there's supposed to be a storm here but i haven't noticed it yet although apparently ronan says cork is getting the brunt of it at the moment very quiet time of year at the moment it seems to be a bit of a, a lull of a few weeks too bad how about yourself ronan cork's uh, a bit soggy a lot of rain i wouldn't know if it's a storm it's just wet even more wet than usual uh, you know cork is up there in terms of wetness it's no galway but it's up there yeah like sean very disappointed in the how the rugby ended up obviously ireland played really well so it doesn't go down with the embarrassing losses they've had in recent quarterfinals definitely this was a team that could have definitely gone all the way so disappointed to see it end that way no worries ireland beat up gibraltar in the soccer to make up for it so uh, we're all better after that yeah, no, unfortunate, unfortunate exit for them. Unfortunately, on the on the day they were sloppier, so it was the correct team that won that game. Unfortunately, but oh yeah, sure. Look, there's always uh, four years time with a presumably given the age profile of the Irish rugby team, a lot of new faces at that stage. Other than that, nothing, nothing too wild or crazy. I think uh, I, I've added Maraid, my wife, onto the car insurance, and I'm going to take her out for a lesson this week. So she's going to start trying the uh, the adventure of driving. That I believe Sean, you're looking at that as well, aren't you? Yeah, unfortunately, I've been quite slow in doing all the various bureaucratic steps. There's cards you have to get and tests you have to take and I have to do an eye test and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, at the moment, I'm like, too much bureaucracy. But I, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure my wife, Sarah, will uh, convince me to start the process again. I've got a car. Why can't I just get in there and drive? What's this, <laughs> what's this licensing Sorry, I about? thought this was America. Are you, are you sure those Dublin uh, test givers will be up to date with the latest Donegal style driving? You know, it's a different, <laughs> it's a different world completely. Ah, it is. It is. Sure, it'd be far easier to pass your test down here. It's a, <laughs> there's no you know, half of the or anything like that. So you know, do the rally turn. You know, like. <laughs> Tokyo Drift style. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a whole section in the Donegal test where they stop giving you instructions and they just start giving you uh, it's a six on the left here and they just give you the, the turn <laughs> increments uh, for how hard to go at them. But yeah, no, this should be should be good fun. So I'm looking forward to, to getting that kicked off. But other than that, nothing too wild or crazy up here other than bit RPGs and prepping for a D&D session this weekend. Uh, let's move in and have a look at the news. We had one transaction. Uh, Denver is getting so bad that players are paying them to let them leave. Frank Clark, there pickup edge rusher who they got kind of funny hit free agency from the Chiefs in the offseason has handed back a large portion of his contract in an agreement to be released he's now on the hunt for a new team there's a lot of talk about him possibly coming back to KC but we'll see because that defense there is already kind of humming uh, they might want him in but it depends on kind of what slot what slot he would take and what kind of price he'd be looking for it's interesting to see now obviously he hasn't played a ton of snaps for them this season and he's kind of in and out let's call him playoff Clark is like he was he kind of basically did his business in the playoffs. I think he's currently one behind or tied for the playoff sack record at the moment. So he's probably just looking for a team that's more likely to make the playoffs for him to hit that. But yeah, it's interesting to see a, a player like this hit the open market at this stage of the year, I suppose. 
the Chiefs have been heavily linked with him, but as you say, it might make more sense to wait a little bit. That dream of getting this all-time playoff sack record is still alive if he signs someone who's relevant and probably not going to get a huge contract from anyone, so he might as well go to someone who's contending. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up in the Chiefs, but maybe someone comes with a bigger offer. It feels like a real Eagles move. They always tend to pick up the older passers and just add them into their rotation so they can just have 26 guys to rotate on that line. But uh, yeah, we'll see where he lands. I'm sure we'll probably hear news in the next week or so about where he might be popping. We had a lot of injuries this week, so we'll kind of run through a few of them. Justin Fields, quarterback of the Chicago Bears, has injured his thumb on his throwing hand. Uh, we don't know how long he's out. The likelihood is probably a week or two. Uh, their offensive lineman, Nate Davis, also injured his ankles out for three to six weeks. Vegas quarterback, Jimmy G, injured his back. It seems relatively serious as he had to be taken by ambulance from the stadium to get it checked out so he's probably likely to miss this week at any rate Tennessee quarterback Ryan Tannehill injured his ankle at the London game he's now week to week uh, we saw an unusual scene where he was kind of standing on the sidelines and some reporters thought he was going to be coming back into the game whereas actually it was that there was only one exit to the x-ray machine it was on the other side of the stadium so they were just waiting for a cart to come up uh, Jacksonville quarterback Trevor Lawrence has injured his leg and he's day to day at the moment at risk of missing their week 7 match up in particular because they're on Thursday night football and quarterback Anthony Richardson of the Indianapolis Colts there's reports coming out so he's already been placed on injured reserve which means he's out for a minimum of four weeks there's now talk about considering this to be a season-ending injury and getting his shoulder right before putting him back in so that's a lot of quarterback stuff in rapid succession where do we want to start on these so Justin Fields of not good obviously thumbs kind of important for throwing the ball and that's basically why there's so much uncertainty around how long he might be out the team is basically saying well he has to be able to grip a ball that's like the minimum requirement of being a quarterback so until we can see that happening he's basically not able to play early indications were good the x-rays came back negative i think the mri was mostly positive as well so i don't think there's any ligament damage so it was a clean dislocation for lack of a better term but it'll basically depend how long it takes for the swelling get down to a reasonable level and he gets mobility back there when he gets back if nate davis is still out that's probably definitely a a bad thing for uh, his offensive line protection and after a couple of good weeks his uh, offensive performance even before he went down against minnesota wasn't great so uh, something to keep an eye on given how up and down they've been on offense badgett was came in and played for him there we kind of didn't know apart from I believe the, the, the telecast told us his father was a world champion arm wrestler I think they've also got Nathan Peterman on the roster but he was injured or something coming into this game so do we think it'll be Peterman or do we think it'll be Badgent really good option terrible isn't he like yeah he had the famous a, like he, the was it the five pick game or whatever I think on the depth chart terrible. it was Peterman number two so you would assume if Peterman is healthy they will give him there but I suppose they put him in there and it wasn't good, but it wasn't, I suppose, world-ending destroying. Well, it wasn't as bad as, say, Dayton Peterman's uh, first game in the yeah. NFL. So they may give him another opportunity now since he's a, he was an undrafted free agent, uh, like uh, rookie. So obviously not much investment there, but uh, they might give him a chance unless Peterman's fully healthy. Peterman builds starting quarterback week 11, 2017 through five interceptions in one half. Yeah, that was uh, the one. they brought Tyra Taylor back in, so, yeah. <laughs> as for other injuries, like Jimmy G, as he said, he got a bit lucky there. I think the indications are saying he might probably will miss this week, but we'll see. There, obviously, he's a guy dealing with a bunch of injuries coming into the season already, so you definitely don't want to see that. I don't know how relevant Vegas are anyway, so it is what it is. Similarly, Tennessee, I don't know how relevant they are, but Tannehill, I think it's the same injury he injured last year, which put him out for a bunch of last season, and which affected him last season as well. They're on a bye, we'll see, but I wouldn't be surprised if he missed some time and we end up seeing more of Malik Willis. And if Malik Willis thinks the place up, they have the rookie that they drafted as well, uh, Levis, so... 
Uh, could be a lot of uh, quarterback rotation for a team that really doesn't have much going on in Tennessee. And Jacksonville, obviously, they'll be desperate to get Lawrence in there for Thursday Night Football, but it might be just a little bit too soon for him. But I think if he can play, he will play. And obviously the Anthony Richards stuff is quite serious because, as Sean was saying last week, this is a team that have somewhat of a spotted record with getting good young quarterbacks injured. If it is kind of a longer term uh, fix it probably makes sense to just shelve him for the season run with Gardner Minchu and you know just get him right there's no point in rushing him back because I think that was part of the issue with Andrew Luck was kind of bringing him back in when he wasn't feeling 100% and we saw how that can stifle young quarterbacks development we saw it with Alex Smith in, in the 49ers back in the day as well when they brought him back from surgery and he wasn't right he's played four games and already, well, I, I'd that's be a, interested. That's a, that's, a, that's a quarter of a college career, uh, if it's Anthony <laughs> Richardson's college career. I mean, yeah, I, I do hope the Colts have learned from the luck thing and are, will make fewer mistakes with Richardson, but it, it's not a good start, let's put it that way, to his management. I, I, I said this last week, I do hope they kind of teach him a little bit about how to protect yourself as a quarterback when you're running not a running back he should not be treating himself or his body as the body of a running back yeah there's a lot of learning that has to go on for that team if he's going to be the star that he looks like he could be if he stays healthy basically linebackers and linemen are far bigger than what you played in college stop running into them we have a, a lot of other injuries that are around the league. We saw we'd start with the quarterbacks. San Francisco running back Christian McCaffrey got an oblique screen and had to leave in the middle of the game. He's now week to week. Debo Samuel injured his shoulder about three plays in, I think it was. And he's now day-to-day as well. And Trent Williams, their offensive tackle, hurt his ankle and he's day-to-day. So any of those pieces missing for any length of time would have a huge impact. And we will be talking about the game and maybe how that impacted on their game. Uh, the Rams running back Kyron Williams has injured his ankle. He's out for a week or two. Ronnie Rivers and their backup running backs as injured his ankle is out for three to six weeks as well Detroit running back David Montgomery only about what two or three weeks back from his previous injury has now damaged his ribs so he's out for two to four weeks Jameer Gibbs missed week six with an injury but they're hoping to have him back but we saw previously him on his own wasn't working fantastically they kind of need a, a bit more of a downhill between the tackles kind of guy as well Minnesota edge rusher Marcus Davenport hurt his ankle and he's out for four to six weeks and Lane Johnson Philadelphia offensive lineman has hurt his ankle and is week to week san francisco they didn't look good once they started losing all these all pros uh kind of guys this is not great for them you gotta hope that these guys are back it sounds like samuel will be albeit possibly the shoulder injuries we've seen this year tend to be kind of two weeks rather than one week cmc you just gotta hope that this isn't he's had he's, he's had durability issues previously with the Panthers and that so like you gotta hope that this isn't them putting too much strain on because he's phenomenal but he is getting the ball a lot there yeah it's night and day that the difference and we'll talk about during the game the difference in the 49ers offense with these guys in and without and as you say CMC in particular who's I mean he's just been incredible this season he is injury prone and we have talked I, I believe we talked about it last week in the pod that the biggest challenge the Niners were going to face to having a successful season was the fact that their team is quite injury-prone in general. It certainly seems as if you can't put the entire offense on Brock Purdy's shoulders alone at the moment, and to lose CMC for another time is really good. They're going to have to change the way they play and stuff. So, I mean, I trust Shanahan to maybe solve some of those problems if it ends up being a three- or four-week kind of thing. 
Yeah, you, you got to trust Kyle Shanahan, obviously, to be able to problem solve. He's, you know, a high co- caliber coach and has a high reputation for a reason. But to lose someone like Cian Prisci in particular and the, the diversity of options he gives you on the offense is really going to hurt what they can do. So if I'm a, if I'm a 49ers fan, I'm going to be checking Google religiously for, for the next while to see what the state of CMC is and when he's likely to come back. Because I think a huge part of the success of this organization this year is going to is on his shoulders and his ability to remain healthy. He's got that record. Is it fifteen games in a row? That he's had a touchdown in. So like, yeah, like it's a lot of it's a lot of points that I as good as some of the other running backs are and stuff. Like they don't have that level of ability. And yeah, like it's it's very important. Speaking of running backs, Ronan, the Rams. That's uh, two down. Kyron Williams and Ronnie Rivers. Are they wishing they hadn't gotten rid of Cam Akers, or are they just going to be able to ride it out? Well, he wasn't a culture fit, so that's what really matters. <laughs> hey, he can Look, be a culture uh, fit if the culture is we've got no fucking running backs. Kyron Williams has been really good for them. He, uh, he was a huge factor in the game, just gone this week. He, they basically didn't use him in the first half, and then suddenly they got him going in the second half, and he got 150 yards, and basically was their offense for the second half, then led them dominate uh, the Arizona Cardinals. He's only out for a week or two, so no panic there. Hopefully he's at the same strength when he comes back, of course. And then Ronnie Rivers, the, the kind of backup that they had there, obviously had for a longer period of time. So I think after that, it's Zach Evans, who's a young player. I think they have uh, Royce Freeman on their practice squad, so don't be surprised if he gets uh, elevated for this week. But yeah, they, they might be in line to, to ca- ca- kind of take from the big pool of like veteran running backs to see what they have. But, you know, obviously Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford's the engine of that offense. So you'd imagine they survive, but after showing that they can run the ball, it would be nice to be able to keep doing that. Similarly for Detroit, obviously Montgomery's been the engine of that offense. They managed to survive last week uh, against Tampa Bay, thanks to Jared Goff showing out, but you'd love to have Montgomery back in there. He's been very effective there. And he'd say Gibbs, you know, he's, he's, been okay but he hasn't lived up to his reputation he's coming off an injury himself so you know Craig Reynolds very good blocker not necessarily a great runner so definitely some issues there and Marcus Davenport a big uh, import from Minnesota but not really much of a factor so far and Lane Johnson I think he's expected to play this through this he, he plays through pretty much everything he had a torn peck last year and played through it so you'd imagine he'll be out there but obviously uh, similar to Trent Williams as they start to accrue these type of injuries that might have some effect on their on their efficacy but these guys are so good that you'd expect they'll still be in the kind of top of the class in terms of offensive production Carolina head coach Frank Reich has surrendered play calling duties to the offense coordinator Thomas Brown who runs a uh, chain of high-end stores here in Ireland this comes obviously after an 0-6 start to the season it's not been easy watching we'll say for Carolina obviously they had the number one pick they've spent it on Bryce Young he has not really been performing to the level they'd want particularly when you look at some of the other young quarterbacks around the league this is a bit of a messy situation. There was a little bit of yapping in the media and in press conferences. I think it was last week, Reich was definitely suggesting that he didn't want Bryce Young in particular or some suggestions that it was a management pick rather than a coaching pick and a few things like that. So this is obviously a kind of reset. We need to do something because we're 0-6 and we don't even have our first round pick if we fuck this up this year. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mess there at the moment not the kind of level of tumultuousness you want for a young rookie quarterback (laughs) essentially swapping play caller after six games like it's not the kind of thing that happens in a franchise that you go excellent everything's going to be fine now (laughs) look this is a situation where as you said last week frank reich made comments about the uh, way ownership uh, worked in this team that he had a lot of meetings with ownership that ownership had a lot of interest slash control depending if you read between the lines and yes there's a lot of rumors swirling around that the preferred 
uh, player was CJ Stroud in the building. That even goes back to comments uh, made during the draft process by Josh McCowan, I believe, where he basically was saying, hey, you're going to be coming to Carolina. And obviously, if ownership intervened, that's never a good sign. We know the organizations where ownership has a big influence, more often than not, are the bad teams and the teams that don't succeed. So definitely something to keep eye on there. Like, you know, that tenure there, obviously, you know, everyone was kind of high in it because it was replacing Richardson, who, you know, was a bit of a, you know, bad person uh, based on the, the circumstances that he left in. But in terms of being a good owner, uh, Tepper has not really uh, shown enough to be anywhere near the trusted tier of owners. As for moving it over to Thomas Brown, he's a young play caller, uh, still under 40. Uh, he comes from uh, Georgia in the college level and then at the NFL level, he's mostly been with the Rams at the running back uh, position and tight ends. And obviously the Rams have uh, produced a lot of offensive people in recent years. And yeah. uh, generally the, the talk is pretty positive about him as a play caller. That's what you expect when someone gets promoted like this. Certainly should add a bit of spark to them and make, give, maybe give Frank uh, more of a chance to focus on the kind of more uh, procedural roles that come with being an NFL head coach. Fingers crossed it works for them because they have been a tough watch this year. Other little bit of news, the 2028 Olympics is now going to include flag American football as one of the contests. So... You going to the Olympics, Connor? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I somewhat doubt it. Uh, <laughs> Connor, I'll just say, if Ireland sends a team, I would say you have a reasonable chance of making that team. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I, think, I think you somewhat uh, either underestimate how many people play this sport or overestimate my physical abilities. <laughs> I'm not sure which one. Go for the more flattering and just think you think I'd be amazing at it. But yes, no, uh, I it, it should be a good crack. I, I, I Unfortunately, the, the, I'm not sure Ireland would do fantastically well. Uh, the the Irish American Football Association did tweet out the about this going. Oh, it's an Olympic sport. Here's our shot. Unfortunately, with 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 the picture of the ladies' team. So the World Championships were held in Ireland back in August, and the ladies' team successfully scored points on their fourth game. Uh, <laughs> it was. Oh, no. Yeah, I think I think I think the average the average margin of loss was like sixty eight points or something. It was uh, it was not great, not great. So yeah. uh, see, we focus on the NFL, and you know, obviously we're kind of in that uh, milieu. But you know, the NFL you can see has been trying to make an effort to promote flag football at more mm-hmm. of its events because it's obviously got a much uh, less uh, let's say injury prone uh, profile. Yeah, it's also lower cost the entry noggin. as well. You know, yeah. That's it too. Obviously, being an Olympic sport will definitely increase interest. And as a positive externality, it might be, you know, NFL guys are like, I'll go to the Olympics. Well, you know, instead of doing the 100 meter sprint, they could try and just do this instead. So, yeah, it could uh, be good fun. Doubt that'll happen too often, but, uh, it, 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 you know. it, it, it does mean that, like, if, if, if America doesn't win this, I don't know <laughs> what they're doing. I imagine, like, we're going to, we're going to see a lot of barking from, like, the very loud, X wide receivers who always want stuff so like Chad Ochocinco is going to be on this in a heartbeat. I guarantee it. Yeah, no, it should be should be good fun anyway. Uh, you can get some very entertaining watches out of that. So fingers crossed it'll hold. Uh, they can swap it out afterwards, so it might just be a uh, one year for the Americas thing. But we'll see, we'll see. And on that lovely note, we'll swing over and have a look at the games from last week. So first up, we have San Francisco taking on Cleveland, which is going to be obviously a very one-sided game. Cleveland are playing their backup quarterback and everything. But no, Moody went one of three on his field goals. Yeah, it was just not very good to give them their first defeat. This was a sloppy game from the San Francisco offense, which is going to be... It'll be excused away by the fact that they were missing large number of players from very early on in this game. But to be honest, the the storyline of this was just the Cleveland defense being 
lights out incredible they had an interception three sacks five tackles for a loss and absolutely slammed down on this san francisco offense purdy was held to 125 yards a touchdown and interception they couldn't really get as much going on the ground as we mentioned there was a christian mccaffrey injury so it didn't work fantastically well for them pj walker was in a quarterback for the browns he had nearly 200 yards and two interceptions not exactly stellar numbers himself but you know cooper went over 100 kareem hunt who's been back in the building now for three weeks i think finally kind of started to get something going he had 71 yards on a touchdown and ford had 84 yards so they just kind of kept it on the ground kept it rolling i get what you were saying in the in the discussion sean about you know i trust kyle shannon to be able to figure things out and change it up if he has to the problem i saw on this was he didn't really know what to do he wasn't able to adjust and he didn't know how to change it around they obviously tried to feed Ayuk a bit more because they were missing Samuel but it felt like he just didn't really know how to respond and I don't know if that is a him not being able to respond him not having the personnel to do what he wanted to do to respond or whether it was just that this Cleveland defense bamboozled them a little bit on how they were playing them because it wasn't it wasn't that Cleveland were dominating on their side of the ball the San Francisco defense kept them kept them in the game good and tight it wasn't, it, it wasn't out of hand. All it needed was them to figure out what to do with the lesser pieces, and they really just didn't have a response, and then obviously it doesn't help that you know, Moody shanked it. I mean, I think you can you can answer that question in two ways. You can say there is a fundamental difference, I think, between on-the-fly changes and kind of deeper stuff they can work on during the week. I mean, taking away the types of, like, so much of the San Francisco offense is based upon the, the, the sheer number of options they have and the defense can't cover everyone. And you never know what someone like Debo or CMC is going to do next. And therefore you kind of have to, the defense is always kept on a back foot, whereas you take that away and it becomes more standard offense. And maybe they don't have the highest quality standard offense. This is somewhere where, for example, having Brock Purdy at quarterback starts to become a liability because now you have to rely on him to perform in every single throw, in every single scenario. He is the main guy that has to make things happen. And that is something that is a weakness, I think, that Purdy's probably not ready for that level of responsibility yet, and he hasn't needed to because of the pieces around him. That said, I agree with you. They they didn't really adjust the way they had to. I mean, George Kittle, who scored three touchdowns last week, basically didn't do anything in this game whatsoever except for do a bit of blocking. And you'd, you'd worry about the fact that they don't seem to know how to solve that problem because the, the second answer you can give is surely Shanahan, given this franchise's history with injuries recently and given the injury proneness of someone like CMC, he really should have had a plan B. He should have had a, if these guys go down, here's how we run a standard cookie-cutter offense. And they didn't seem to have that, or at least... They didn't have that in such a way that Cleveland couldn't uh, shut it down. I mean, Purdy had the worst game of his career. Some of it was pressure, but mostly it was just taking away options from him. He didn't have the immediately easy option available to him 99% of the time, and therefore he wasn't making the right decisions all the time. He did kind of get into it as the game went on. I felt the final drive in particular, he had one or two nice throws, and it kind of felt like they were getting through it. It didn't help that the O-line really struggled in this game. And I think it's very clear that they are the weakest part of the San Francisco team in general. Is that they don't give the level of protection needed to someone as inexperienced as Purdy. It does need to be said, though, despite the poor performance, despite everything, the Niners should have still won this game because you should not be missing a 41-yard field goal. No, that, should be, that goal. should be in the pocket if you're 41 <laughs> yards like. 
Yeah, it's 41 yards. They, they screwed up the clock a little bit. They seem to be rushing it a tiny bit, which is a problem. I think they screwed up. A, they could have taken a timeout earlier or something and could have solved that problem. But well, I, I, think, I think they had a spare timeout left that they could have tried to go closer as well. Am I right in thinking? Yeah, yeah. There was, there, was some, there was a couple of bad decisions made around time management in the last 10 seconds or so, which again, not like Shanahan has a history of bad time management or anything <laughs> uh, like that. So... A failure to execute on the offensive side because of what they lost and they couldn't adjust. A failure, I guess, in the coaching to find solutions here in the immediacy. A failure of the O-line to do its job properly. But, I mean, you got to, as you said, give credit to the Browns. Very nice aggression from the defense. The front line in particular was, was crushing it. Very much a defensive win because offensively they were a bit of a mess. P.J. Walker did not have what could be considered a good game. And if they're looking at him again next week, I'd be worried about that because can the defense pull this kind of performance uh, two weeks in a row? That said, the run game looks pretty good, re-emerging in, in the, the post-Nick Chubb era, I guess. Ford and Hunt produced an awful lot. So there's something growing in Cleveland. The problem is there's a giant Deshaun Watson-shaped cancer on top of it, uh, yeah. which is obviously a problem for us liking them. But defensively very sound, and there is something coming together. But the Niners never lost this game, even with the injuries that happened. This one was thrown away, both in terms of offensive production and that final game. So, Sean, you're not gonna you're not gonna give any Mia culpas here at all, because I can pull up the audio, but I believe <laughs> I believe it was. Uh, I'm just wondering if this team is gonna go 17 and 0. Yeah, things things you should never say out loud in public. Uh, uh, jinxed myself think... a bit there. Although you did say, Connor, when I said that is. The issue was injuries. Yeah, it's true. It's the true. issue was injuries. <laughs> That's it. I was expecting them later in the season, not in week six, but yeah. Marcus was, was asking, like, why are there all these frauds? And I'm like, it's by design. The whole point of the NFL and why it's so successful is parity. It's designed to, you know, to every week that this kind of stuff can happen. It's not like college football where teams are just going to hockey someone else 50 nil. You know it beforehand. This is why we like the sport. But in terms of the game... Like, I think, you know, there were some unique things here that obviously made it harder for the 49ers. As you said, the injuries stacked up. And as the injuries stack up, you don't get those easy wins that CMC gives. Like, CMC makes a bad play to a good play just because he's CMC. And then suddenly, like, Kyle Shanahan's been asked to do a lot more to make those plays genuinely good against what has been a pretty successful defense so far. You know, things like uh, Trent Williams was hurt, but even before he was hurt, Miles Garrett was beating him like a drum. Um, I know he didn't have the gaudy statistics. He didn't have the uh, the sacks or whatever like that. But oh, there's not... a, there's a clip doing the rounds online of him just throwing him into the ground like it was. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's fair to say there's not too many defensive ends who can do that to Trent Williams. Like he's one of the best left tackles in the league. Potentially, he, you know, he's got on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and uh, that won't happen too often, thankfully. But obviously, Miles Garrett is a force of nature, and uh, probably like the surprise of this game was uh, JOK uh, Koromoa, who was an absolute menace all game and he's the kind of guy that he's shown flashes since he came into the league but he's never put it together consistently and if he's going to become a kind of consistent force of nature for this defense look out because that guy can move that guy is an he's an aggressive chess piece from the linebacker position that you just know that uh, Jim Schwartz is excited to see what he can do with him after getting the bye to kind of figure some things out and they pressured on Purdy on nearly 50% of his drop back so I know everyone's been saying you know oh Purdy you know he's great stop disrespecting but like the reality is that Brock Purdy is a perfect quarterback for the Shanahan system but that the Shanahan system broke down in this game Shanahan 
was not able to scheme up those open looks that they thrive off of. And I don't know what Schwartz uh, has figured out. I'm sure we'll hear more about Drat during the week as people break down the tape. But he figured out something here. And obviously it helps having such a great uh, defensive line. But there's obviously things here that other teams will look at. But of course, as you say, if you don't have CMC, that's kind of a different version of its offense. We saw as soon as they got CMC last year, that made all the difference of taking them to a next level that nearly took them all the way to a Super Bowl. So I think for the Browns, I would give them more credit on the defense. I think they've generally found something here. And yes, you know, it helps when you're at the, the dog pound and it's raining buckets and it's the tough conditions to begin with and they have some injuries but you can't take anything away from what was an amazing performance here against one of the best offensive minds in the league as for the Niners I think Sean said most of it but I'd be a, a little bit concerned here obviously because you know these are like you know I don't think they're expected to be long-term injuries but they're picking up these nicks as they go along and then they're going to have to figure these things out are they going to really be the same offense with Elijah Mitchell or Jordan Mason probably not so they're going to be a bit more pressured there to, to get Shanahan back into the the into the locker room making up his own stuff there and I think on a defensive end yes you know they they you know, B.J. Walker certainly didn't look like a, the most amazing quarterback there, but he was able to find Amari Cooper on a couple of big plays. You'd be a little bit disappointed with that, and certainly more than they probably would have got off uh, DTR. And, and, the run- and this 49ers defense, as much as we were saying the 49ers didn't show up, their defense did. Like, this was very good defense from them. It was very good defense, but considering the conditions, considering it's P.J. Walker and, you know, Jerome Ford slash Kareem Hunt, like, they're not really going up against much. So even though, you know, they only gave up, maybe about 300 yards or so I would expect I would expect them to do more to be perfectly frank uh, even uh, even away from home and I think that the Browns eventually did get that run game going like they got the touchdown to, to Hunt and they eventually turned it around no, nothing spectacular but in that kind of four yards of carry uh, given where the Browns were in terms of personnel I think they could probably take it and like yeah maybe that's an unfair benchmark to put a defense on but this is supposed to be one of the best defenses in the league. It's not unfair to kind of go, if you want to be in that stratosphere, if you want us to consider you to be world-class or historic, and um, then you need to not give up 19 points to Cleveland Browns. It wasn't their fault, just to be clear, because uh, they did the, a, a solid job that most defenses would be very proud of, but we expect more, right? And so there's a little bit of concern there, but obviously at full health, I think the 49ers are still, as Sean has said, the most talented team in the league but of course you take a few Jenga pieces suddenly the whole thing looks a little less secure like it's really when you're dealing with that kind of stuff that you see the difference between like the the good teams and and the like the all-time great teams and it's certainly at the quarterback position you saw maybe there's a, a weakness there that's been hidden by how great this team is most of the time so yeah for Cleveland an amazing win gets into three and two really shakes up that AFC North uh, battle shame we have to hate them yeah for the 49ers a humbling loss here I don't think it'll have too much of a long-term effect but one that they'll probably have to take lessons for in terms of their resilience going forward yeah next up philly at the jets 14 to 20 and up and down jalen hurts had kind of 300 odd yards two touchdowns but three interceptions uh throws a very very unfortunate i say unfortunate it was, it was you know, just a terrible throw from him really interception just with about two minutes left on the clock it gets run back most of the way they then essentially the defense let the let the jets score a touchdown so they have a minute and a half left on the clock but they're un, unable to make it happen and uh, it's over it's done this new york jets defense came in uh, speaking of top end defenses and laid down an absolute marker three interceptions fumble two sacks four tackles for a loss get a big giant stop to end the game it was very very impressive from them the philadelphia offense was moving but was just very 
sloppy so they had turnovers like i said three interceptions they weren't very good down in the red zone because they did have one or two more opportunities and they were just making mistakes there zach wilson played a decent game actually uh, 186 yards no touchdowns but you know this is a tough philadelphia defensive line they hit him five times for sacks six tackles for a loss but you know the jets come in they got it out they get a win they're now three and three they're still live it was an amazing performance my only only annoyance was that <laughs> the game ran quite long because I was sitting there going, well, if Philly can put another touchdown in, I can go to bed here or whatever. And they just kept making mistakes and making me have to stay up longer. But I was happy I did because it was a hell of a finish to this game. Wilson has definitely grown in recent weeks. Uh, he's still making some mistakes here and there. Like he's not perfect at all. But if they can get the level of performance out of Wilson we've seen the last week or two, then this is a team with this defense that can definitely stay in the hunt. There's reports out there at the moment as well that Aaron Rodgers is eyeing up a week 12 return is the one that was going around this week, which is just absolutely mad for me. And the very surprising side was this is the Jets' first ever win over Philadelphia. They've never won over them beforehand. From the Philly side, their offense looked good, but was just getting stopped in key spots. The way the Jets played against Hertz was very interesting because I think in the first half in particular, we saw them sending more pressure after him, sending extra men, and he just had too much mobility. He'd back off, he'd start moving around, wait for the play to kind of come to him, develop a little bit, and then he'd find a man open. And then towards the back end, the Jets realized, look, we don't need to be doing this. We're just going to send four, and in some cases, even only three. When big completions were happening on him, it was normally when they sent an extra man and the guy would be able to come free because they weren't, even with their speed, able to get Tim a huge amount. Like we said, they had two sacks, but like that was, you know, that was on a lot of pressures. So I think as much as I'd like to say this is something that people can look at and kind of go, okay, well, this is what we do. It's a highly specialized set of personnel they have in the Jets, so I'm not sure how replicable this is, but this was a phenomenal performance from their defense. Their offense did just enough to to, to survive, and Philly are going to think this is one that, you know, slipped away from them. This was definitely there for the win, if it hadn't been for Hertz's mistakes and maybe a couple of play-calling decisions that I think might be slightly questionable. There was also a couple of, like, field position timing stuff that like Hertz was going for it all when he didn't have to go for it all he had time on the clock and he was still trying to go for first downs rather than it's four down territory you might as well take eight yards and then just keep keep yourself tipping away the one thing I will note before I pass it off is that was definitely not a touchdown at the start of this game he definitely had he was down before that ball broke the plane the refs really did fuck up that call and I think they gave a makeup call later on to the Jets but yeah my stance is that was not a touchdown the first one but that was it was like a weird thing where it initially wasn't given and it was given like on the break or something yeah. like that or yeah they, like they, and, and they didn't show a replay of it for about five or ten minutes like because it was initially ruled that he fumbled into the end zone another player recovered it but another player can't recover it ahead so it was a turnover on downs yeah no it was just it was just a mess and it was definitely the wrong call I've looked back at the shots afterwards and like there's no way he's not down before that ball crosses the plane and then he fumbles it after he's down double wrong i suppose in the eternal words of dj khaled congratulations you played yourself because as you say the the eagles should never have lost this game like you know they came out of the two minute warning up by a two and it's like well what should we do should should we a just you know run the ball on third and nine and then force them to do something which they have not done pretty much the entire game because our defensive line was absolutely dominating particularly in the second half or do i throw a stupid uh, throw off my back foot and throw an interception giving them a short field and let them score a touchdown on the very next play uh they went for b 
I have no idea why. It was just an idiotic thing. And it just kind of felt for the entire second half. Like, Eagles were like, yeah, we're just better. We're going to win the game. It's fine. Don't worry about it, guys. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, one of our friends in one of our chats, Ian, was kind of had that opinion. It kind of felt like, and he ended up being a... A little bit disappointed, I imagine, by the end. But it's just one of those situations where you're like, it's a little bit of arrogance to a certain extent. You kind of feel like, I don't want to implode that on it, but it is just a little bit like... No, you know, it, that's definitely what it felt like. You could have just won this game, basically. Or you could have let your defense win you the game, most likely. you know. And if the Jets had come back and scored the field goal... You know, fair play to them. Like you lost fair and square, and people will say maybe you could be, you know, be more aggressive, whatever like that. But it would have been much better than the way you actually lost this game. And of course, they kind of lost the game. Like you know, they threw another interception in the second half. They missed a field goal in the second half. They fumbled just before the end of the first half. So it just kind of felt like they got a little bit of a lead. It wasn't like amazingly like fourteen to three. They kind of felt like they had enough, and then they just kind of pootered around for a while and like obviously huge credit has to go to this Jets defense obviously they were continuously turning the ball over Bryce uh, Hall uh, had he picked off Jalen Hurts Bryce Huff was really good he had had one and a half sacks he was pressuring uh, Jalen Hurts on a consistent basis uh, and obviously neither of those to be confused with Bryce Hall uh, just a lot of Bryce in this uh, team mm. uh, at the a moment a lot of H's uh, uh, Quinn and Williams obviously the, the, the fact that's went for interception CJ Mosley had a turn it's just like you know they did a lot of work no doubt about that and they were missing their two top cornerbacks so obviously you know that probably is part of the reason why AJ Brown actually had a good game 131 yards but you know you got to respect that but it did feel like the Eagles you know given they had some injuries in their offensive line and they were just kind of going along it was just it was a very weird game to watch i think as you said connor it just felt like you know the eagles just never believed that they would lose this game and for the jets like you know they just stuck around i think like the team after what could have easily been a lost season has rallied around zach wilson after he had that you know the unlucky loss against kc he finally showed some growth presumably some maturity off the field as well i'd hope after what he was saying last year and it's not great of course it's still zach wilson but you know when you have this defense and some weeks you're going to have Brees hall uh, doing stuff he was good here he had like nearly 100 yards but uh, not his like superstar game then that will give you a chance and that's basically what the jets are going to be if until and if somehow Aaron Rodgers miraculously comes back it's about giving yourself a chance hanging around probably sticking around the 500 mark in the overall standings and then hopefully you can sneak into the playoffs and and maybe hopefully Aaron Rodgers around by then for a team where everything could have gone so wrong and felt like it was going wrong early on the in the post Rodgers era uh, despite the win in week one either way and the back end of their schedule weakens up a lot and the fact you have a win against the Buffalo Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles it just feels like a fucking miracle to be perfectly oh, yeah, frank. Like... So they're a team that, uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here because I don't think they're ever going to blow a team out. But if they stay this way, if they start to grow belief and, you know, they can just stop Zach Wilson doing the really stupid stuff, then I think they have a shot just ha- given how solidly this entire roster is built and given what they have there in terms of uh, management at the moment. Yeah, I think in this game, it's probably more the Eagles lost it than the Jets won it, but I think the Jets will take whatever they can this season and uh, they'll be happy to take what they got here. But if, if the Jets are 3-3 three and three now, then they really only need to win one more game so they'll be at least, at, at worst, 4-7 and seven going into Week 12 when Rodgers returns and they win out. So, piece of cake, really. If <laughs> yeah, yeah LAX, relax. <laughs> or even if they could even lose every game from here to Week 12 and Rodgers could still get them to 9-8. and eight. So, yeah, you gotta, you got to believe it's really turning around for the, for the Jets here. Yeah, absolutely defensive. Brilliant. They held the Eagles scoreless entirely in the second half. Part of that, I, I, to an extent, was Jalen Hurts making some poor decisions. One of his 
interceptions was just a really, really bad read. Other execution, uh, Devontae Smith dropped an easy touchdown at one point. Swift was kept quiet. It's If we want to talk about frauds, and I guess once a team loses their unbeaten record, it is apt to talk about frauds. One theory, obviously, about the fraud thing is that the, because of the, since the changes in preseason, teams start the season slower and don't tend to get into their groove until much later than they mm-hmm. used to. And I do kind of feel a certain extent with this Eagles team, that's what you're seeing. This Eagles team, you can see them working out how to get back to their amazingness week in and week out, but it's week six and they're not quite there yet, maybe by week 10, week 11. I think that's true of the offense. The offense still hasn't quite figured out how to do what it did last year or how to make that next evolution. The defense does. The defense looks way ahead of the offense in terms of rediscovering last season's form. They just completely stifled the Jets' offense for most of the game, uh, held them to field goals for three and a half quarters until they finally, uh, the dam finally broke. The Eagles, I wouldn't come away from this thinking it's a disaster. They just didn't execute where it mattered. Uh, and sometimes these kind of games uh, can get away from you, especially when you have a team like the Jets who seem to be very much a momentum team. When they feel that they're in the groove, the defense seems to be making plays all the time. Zach Wilson doesn't make mistakes. Brees Hall is, is you know, running up and down the field. Uh, and at other times with the Jets, it feels like nothing's working and, and nothing goes well. So this was just one of those games where it seemed to click. And as long as Zach Wilson keeps playing mistake, mistake-free football, they're going to be okay. You know, this was always his thing was that he made stupid decisions when under pressure and he seems to be deliberately trying not to do anything crazy or stupid. He doesn't want to be the guy who gets blamed for defeat. So he's being quite conservative in what he's doing, which seems to be working because the Jets maybe don't need a superstar quarterback or maybe they will need a superstar quarterback come say the playoffs but maybe just to make the playoffs they don't need a superstar quarterback all they need someone who doesn't make mistakes so the defense um, can do his thing that said I mean the, the O-line it looks like a, a real mess and, and yeah, I would worry about how much protection Wilson's going to get down the stretch third down and red zone the offense doesn't seem to be doing anything at all but the defense I mean it turns up when it matters they were producing turnovers here at all the crucial moments they stifled what is a very good Eagles defense and they kept this team in it long enough just to, to eke out the victory. It's, it's a very interesting ride to be on with this Jets team because it's like, I, as I was talking about the, the, the Lions at the start of the season, they're, they're flawed, which makes them exciting to watch. But the Jets are even more flawed and their flaws are more obvious. So it's like, it's almost inconceivable sometimes that they can win a game of football. And yet here they are winning games of football regularly now. Again, I don't know how sustainable it is without someone without getting someone like Rodgers back, but uh, it sure is fun to watch for the moment. Next up, we have Giants of Buffalo, 9-14. to Thank you, refs. We couldn't have three upsets. Allen, 180 yards, two touchdowns and interception. He was a bit dicey in the first half, but then he started to pick it up a little bit more in the second half. Laser touch kind of makes them look a little bit better against this surprisingly strong, I will say, because I wasn't expecting the Giants defense to look this good. I will say that, like, this game had me smashing my fraud alert button. Like, absolutely. (laughs) Buffalo, hands down, should have lost this game and should have lost this game in about three separate ways. There's a big, big, big pass by Allen that was thrown into triple coverage. It was caught. That was a classic Allen throwing the wrong call and he shouldn't have put the ball there and they got lucky to come down with it. The defense just like got away with a number of penalties in this. Probably the most obvious of that being the 
stop on Waller at the end of the game to stop them from scoring on the final pass, which had already been called back because of a defensive pass interference. It was ridiculous, frankly. And if I was the Giants, I would feel absolutely robbed on it. They also killed their goal line chance there at the end of the first half, which I think was more in the Giants of just absolutely mismanaging their clock at the tail end of the first half. There was a little bit of pulling from the defenders, but you expect that. There was a bit, yeah. Yeah, like you said, like that's kind of, I think, certainly expected to a certain extent. But yeah, uh, Tyrod Taylor actually looked fairly all right, 224 yards. He was safe, didn't make any major mistakes in the game. Saquon Barkley came back and just shy of the 100 yards. So definitely feeling a good bit healthier. There is a little bit of a question knocking around of, is this Giants team maybe better with Tyrod? But we'll see what the story is, because I believe we're expecting Danny Dimes back uh, next week, all going to plan. But yeah, this was being hailed as kind of the, the, the Buffalo get right game come home beat up on an easy opponent kind of feel a little bit better about yourselves and you know wash away the shoddy performance that you had over in London and to be honest this was to my mind a worse performance than the performance in London I think Alan looked shook even if he looked a little bit better at the tail end still didn't look right and was making the kind of decisions you don't want him to be making. The run game didn't really get going the way they'd like to see it going, though they did have a couple of decent runs, second-year player. Giants were, you know, they're on a backup quarterback, so you're not going to have it perfect. It was, it was interesting to see Waller getting used a little bit more with Tyrod in there than you had been with Daniel Dimes. We'll see whether that continues whenever he comes back as well, and it's good to see Saquon back, and I think the run game helped them kind of control it a little bit more, but yeah. This was messy from both sides, I think poorly coached from both sides, and Buffalo probably spent all of their tip jar money on on paying off these refs at the tail end because they stole a win at the end. Paid them in the Queen's shilling, I'm sure, you know. Giving them good old Great British Pounds. (laughs) But uh, yeah, not, not a game that will live long in the memory. I think if you're a Buffalo fan, the main thing is you got the win and you move on and yeah, they, they have another cupcake next week. You know, they go up against the Patriots. If they're this bad again, then you'd worry that once they get out of this cupcake zone, they might be in a little bit of trouble. But they got away with one here. I think you're right there. What you saw here in the first half was a hangover, jet lag, whatever. It was truly, truly bad. Like it was probably, it's the worst they've looked all year. And there has been some bad moments this year. They have not been very consistent. It feels like an offense, but they got away with it. You saw... You know, they kind of steadied the ship in the second half with an extremely long, methodical drive, the kind of ones that you hope Allen will start putting in his repertoire more often and you'd hope that they're able to run the ball enough to kind of make those work. And, you know, that kind of steadied the ship, got them into this game. The Giants got a field goal to go back ahead. But then, as you said, they had a a more classic Buffalo drive after that, which, uh, yes, uh, that touchdown should never have happened. I suppose, you know, the the, the commentary I've given, it's the laser. Your commentary is it's a idiotic (laughs) pass. But like many of the passes that Josh Allen has made that he's famous for, when they work, they, they do look very spectacular. Uh, oh no like it's it's very cinematic it's just fucking stupid it is it is what it is he is what he is at this point and you know obviously they kind of will still hope he can make the next step in terms of decision making and i think you know it, it the problem with josh allen is that when things are getting away from him, he does try to do the hero ball stuff when they're in cam and they're just things are going well you do see the elements of just being a kind of smart quarterback as well but just those pressure moments i don't know if he has that kind of clutchness you see from mahomes and burrow and like he's not as bad as 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 someone else we might mention in a moment uh in terms of non-clutchness but uh, he can be a little bit on clutch so in terms of the builds like you know the the allen stuff 
eventually worked. Stefan Diggs continues to basically be the primary thing going on its offense. James Cook is okay at the running back position, though it's still a little bit of concern that they can't do it on a regular basis. And yeah, they just gave the ball away twice in the first half. They just kind of made themselves like more difficult, but they they did enough in the second half. As for the Giants, like yeah, they're just operating at such a low level. I think probably are better with Terod Taylor in there than Daniel Jones but that's just because he's not going to make those stupid mistakes but you we've seen enough times Terod Taylor starting to know what you're going to get it's going to be very safe occasional scramble but you're just there's no ceiling there right um you're never going to be a great team with him the best you're going to be is like the the kind of the, the playoff team he had for Buffalo where they kind of sneak into a wild card spot but they did get Saquon back he had nearly 100 yards that should hopefully calm things down which is much more important when they uh get Daniel Jones back in unfortunately the offensive line is a bit of a mess uh, I think the one of the offensive linemen's pew uh, was brought in this week and he's on the on the broadcast he said uh you know it's like my name and where you're from he's like you know, Justin Pugh, straight off the couch. And that's kind of where they are uh, right now. And I think he ended up playing left tackle during this game because of another injury. So yeah, definitely some moving the deck chairs around on the on the, on the the Giants roster. And yeah, this is probably the Titanic of rosters right now. And, you know, when Daniel Jones comes back, you'd be like, oh, cool, starting quarterback back, but it's 40 million. We're paying him a lot. But yeah, I, I don't think it'd be that much better when he's back. They were unlucky here at the end. As you said, they had... Uh, a PI call already to get into the, the, the short goal situation and then Teron Johnson did another PI and it's kind of like eh, I think the refs are too much a bit of a bitches to actually call it twice effectively and they were right so uh, Buffalo got away with one there but yeah as you say you know that the situation at the end of the first half was more classic bumbling giants where you know they went for the run they had a field goal right there and then you know the the, the Buffalo defenders like hey you know you want to take a little hug there Saquon you know we'll have a little fun time there but you should have expected that so there's no real excuse there and uh based on the uh chilly reception that uh McDermott got uh, from Dable at the end in terms of the handshake it, no love lost between these uh two former colleagues so Buffalo move on you got the win uh Giants you're in the toilet I have no idea where you're going from here because I don't really see that, like, you know, I don't really see where you're going to get the wins going forward. Chaos Bowl up next. Dallas at the Chargers. Who wants it less? 20-17 to 17 to the Dallas Cowboys as Herbert throws another fourth quarter interception to end the game. He had 247 yards, two touchdowns, and that crushing interception on the final drive. But it had been, like, like we said, an all right overall day for them. It's just this. I think I was saying to you just before we kicked off, I think this is his 13th fourth quarter interception and for players starting in that year that means he is five fourth quarter interceptions ahead of the second place which is not very good Eckler was quite quiet in his comeback he only had 62 yards in this game although you know he did look explosive on one or two of those plays so hopefully they can work him up to a full workload Dak was a good bit better than he had been in recent games as well he went over 300 yards he had two touchdowns and it seems that you know (laughs) Jerry Jones in, in revealed Magnifico as they would say on another podcast turns out just a liar so they were saying in the on, on our radio show it was like do you think that we should try and feed Lamb the ball more and he goes no 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 I think we should uh, spread it out even more than we currently are uh, Lamb had 117 yards in this game didn't get his touchdown but got good yardage and they seem to finally be going back to him on a little bit more regular basis the Chargers defense got some decent pressure in this game they had five sacks seven tackles for a loss but this was a game that was super 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 close right up until Justin Herbert fucked it at the end uh, like we said this is is kind of what we were expecting this game to come down to I was honestly expecting there to be maybe a little bit more scoring in it but both defences held up alright even with the injuries that both of them are having at the moment it was a fine performance the Chargers drop another game that definitely could have been won they just kind of seem to just choke stuff away way too often Dallas 
you know, they they did what they needed to do. They came down with the interception. They got the game won in a not spectacular fashion, but like I said, look, this is just stack some wins, get yourselves back going. It was a reset following the absolute hammering they took from the 49ers, and they seem to have come back well. Yeah, so like we'll see, we'll see what this means for them down the line. But if I'm Dallas, I'm happy coming out against what is a sparky and sometimes difficult Chargers team and to have gotten the win. Although I'm not sure I'd be mad happy that it was sitting in the Chargers' hands at the tail end. The only positive is that leaving it in the hands of your opponent when it's the Chargers gives you more than a 50-50 chance of winning. A a weirdly low-key game. It's a game that kind of just kind of trundled along for four quarters and you never really felt the spark kick off. And in the end, it was just a question of which team could score the, you know, a winning field goal and then and then hold. Because the, what should happen if you're someone of the of the caliber, the talent and the talent level of Justin Herbert, when your opponents score a go ahead field goal with I think like maybe three or four minutes left in the clock, you win the game. That's what you do. You go down the field and you win the game, and that's what distinguishes ultimately that the really elite quarterbacks from the not elite quarterbacks is what do they do in the final two three four minutes uh, of a game and Herbert is he's he's definitely developing a reputation for for anti-clutchness uh, if you, you could come up with such a stat as that when the chips are down he just goes missing he looks so good and so dashing and, and and so you know in control and playing well for like three three and a half quarters and then and if it's a close game and it gets down to the last five minutes you just know he's going to do something stupid or a mistake he prefaced it a bit he was he was throw he had missed a few big throws there were other situations there were there was a couple of spots where he could have thrown easy touchdown passes and maybe the charge could have won this more comfortably but then he went out when the chips were down and threw the the, the interception that threw the game away and i mean it's on one level you got to go charges gonna charge but i mean this team is is far too talented to be throwing games away like this it, it feels like i mean i was very excited about the kellen moore thing because i thought here's a guy who knows what he's doing and now he we can actually develop an offense that looks like it's going to be good but it feels like the offense hasn't kicked on at all under kellen moore it was it's quite disappointing uh, here they seem s- s- more obsessed with finding certain kinds of formations that could keep Micah Parsons quiet. Their whole game plan seemed to be, we got to find a way to always make sure to have like two or three guys blocking Micah Parsons' route to Justin Herbert. And that seemed to be the entire focus of the offense, not gaining yards or scoring points or setting up plays that would progress down the field. It was, we got to make sure this bad thing doesn't happen. So therefore, we will build our entire offensive game plan around it. As a result, they just didn't kind of get going at all. Austin Eckler had a very quiet game by his standards, which unfortunately, fucked me in fantasy Palmer had a decent game kind of stepping into Mike Williams shoes but other than that there really wasn't an awful lot uh, going on offensively there was not an awful lot of protection for Justin Herbert either despite the fact or maybe because of the fact they were focusing so much on on the specter uh, of Micah Parsons so it just feels like this team just has not come together this balance on the offensive side between run and pass kind of evaporated here because they couldn't get the run game going uh, and as a result they kind of leaned on Herbert so much that ultimately maybe he was being asked to do things that he he should be able to do but doesn't seem to be able to do it so the charges it doesn't feel like they're solving the problems that are falling in front of them strangely their defense seems to be getting slightly better the run defense which was the huge problem for this charges team for so long seems to have finally figured out itself under Staley but offensively they don't seem to be going anywhere at all but Conversely, the Cowboys were also kind of disappointing, right? The offense was very conservative. Now, I understand that the the Mike McCarthy 
game plan is to let the defense win the game and make sure that offensively you don't make any mistakes, play conservative, manage the game, don't make Dak do stupid things, and ultimately you win more games than you lose. But here, the Chargers have hugely obvious deficiencies in the secondary. They can be beaten over the top constantly, and even when they react to that, they leave spaces behind them or are in the center. Uh, so they're they're basically they're they're problems that Chargers have in their passing game that the Cowboys just did not expose whatsoever. They did not try and challenge those Chargers secondary whatsoever. They seemed happy to to take the yards that were given to run CeeDee Lamb in the slot and and just uh, just run run his ass off uh, and win the game that way. And when they got into the red zone, they just could not convert. And even though there seemed to be an awful lot of room for Dak Prescott to run when he needed to be, they didn't seem to want to expose that either. So a very strange game by the Cowboys offensively where, again, like the Chargers, you felt they should have been doing an awful lot more. And when you talk about in this game about how you felt there should be more points in it. I absolutely agree. This is a game where the way the offenses are set up and the way the defense is set up, it could easily have been like a 35-34 game, but it wasn't. It was 2017 because neither team really turned up. The only high point, I suppose, is that Dallas defense didn't have another nightmare. They kind of got back into their groove. I kind of feel that in, in the Dan Quinn versus Kellen Moore battle, Quinn won that. Good defensive pressure, uh, took away the running game, and did just enough to get the win. But... Cowboys have to be happy to get the win after the, the debacle against the 49ers, but I'm, I wouldn't be happy with this team and how well they're going to do in the future, especially offensively. They're far too reliant on their defense just being super elite and the offense not having to do anything, and that's not going to work when you get into the, 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 the higher stratosphere of, yeah. of the NFC in the playoffs. That only works Char- if you're the Jets. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Uh, and for the Chargers, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm almost giving up on this team. Chargers are going to charge. They're going to end up somewhere middling... Herbert is he's Philip Rivers. He's turning into Philip Rivers uh, in that in that it just all that talent is just going to waste because they don't seem to to know either he or the coaches don't seem to know how to actually maximize his mm. his talent and ability and build a system around him that works. So fuck the Chargers, man. I, I'm basically done with them. <laughs> I see you're saying that now. But this is normally the week upcoming where they're gonna give it their all when they're at Arrowhead is normally their big performance and then uh, then they just go back into their shells again. Next up, New Orleans at Houston, 13-20. to 20. New Orleans kind of flip-flop, flim-flom, stumble your way down into a loss. They missed two out of their four field goals and they had turnovers because they had an interception late in the game. There was also Stroud. I think this was his first interception, but yeah, so they intercepted Stroud in the first quarter and then immediately fumbled the interception back to Houston. So it was... Messi will say seven flags, eighty something yards, and it it was uh, it was not great. Carr did what Carr does, so he had three hundred and something yards, three fifty, I think. Uh, he had a touchdown and interception, so just kind of very middle of the road stuff, but just failing at kind of very important moments, particularly when I think they went for it on fourth down and the pass came up short. Like it was just boneheaded decision making at times, just kind of looking at completing a pass rather than what the tactical decision should be. Stroud on the other side had like a, probably a down game for him is 200 yards two touchdowns and an interception and that says a lot for a rookie that that's a down game for him but he has been playing very well very solid overall even though the defense was really getting in his face because this is the new orleans defense that we've been talking about that keeps them in games it was interesting though because it was they didn't really get anything going a huge amount like the second half for them was not really much going i think there was what was there six points scored in the second half entirely in this game if if, if you want this is kind of going back to ronan's old punt watch so the the series in the second half go punt 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 field goal field goal 
punt, missed field goal, punt, turnover on downs, punt, interception, end of game. Like, it was not inspiring football, to put it mildly, right? But this is a tough New Orleans defense. Stroud did a decent job. Houston got the win and kind of controlled the game, even if they couldn't really get anything going on offense. New Orleans had a couple of nice moments, like a big completion to Shahid, I think it was, it kind of brought them down. And stuff like a couple of big splash pays, but just nothing you could hang your hat on, nothing that seemed like they're in any way going to be contending with anything. And I think that's why I'm so much more positive on Houston coming out of this, because Houston are at the start of a rebuild. They've gotten some good pieces. They've got the rookie quarterback in place. They're getting performance out of some of their younger wide receivers and stuff. They've got a couple of young pieces on the defense. Like, they're kind of on the up. This is the New Orleans team that, like we said, is just kind of running back what used to be under Sean Payton, including bringing back players from years ago. Derek Carr is no upgrade. They've got no real plan in place to progress from where they are. I think they're just kind of stuck in this, like, win five or six games and just keep it going until it falls apart. Like, I've got an awful, awful feeling because I always enjoyed New Orleans over the years. They feel like they're about to just kind of descend into Tennessee Titans territory of just keep running the same old thing back, even if it's not working. Yeah, and of course they uh, they always do it every year in a way where their cap is basically impossible to unpick, and that's yeah. probably part of the reason why they just go all in every single year, no matter how little reason there is to do so. And there's very little reason to do those this year. You might win the, AFC, the NFC South, so what? Like you'll be knocked out straight away. Well done, I suppose. And this is a game that they'll definitely be kicking themselves for losing, as you said. They just kind of kept kicking themselves in the face. You know, they had uh, a missed field goal. They turned it over and downs he had interception to finish this game the entire fourth quarter was just let's cut to new orleans oh a drive ended with failure another one mm. well we'll see what's what is there and it felt like houston were just like okay like you know if they do something we will definitely strike back and we'll get cj stride back in the saddle and let them do things but until then let's just play it safe and let's grind this thing out and because new orleans were so incompetent they i wouldn't say got away with it but it, it worked effectively right um, yeah. Like the first half was a bit more exciting, you, you especially for the Houston side. You saw Stroud do some of the things you like from Stroud. He did tur- throw that first pick of his career, which is something really exciting to say about someone who's in, you know, his sixth week as a rookie. But yeah, and obviously, as you say, it kind of came back right there back to them because uh, Zach it's, it's almost like it didn't to, happen at all. Yeah. So does that technicality? Like, no, unfortunately, it will go into stats as a interception uh, and the, the weird fumble from Zach Bowne in the ether on top of it. But yeah, it's one of those games where for Houston, you know, this team is so young, so inexperienced that to get wins like this, even if a lot of it's thanks to the other side, is huge for them. You know, they just stuck to their principles. I think the fact that the defense, which is incredibly inexperienced and has had some it's been much better than expected, but still some tough outings early this year. For them to come in and just kind of make all those clutch plays, like they gave New Orleans a lot of yards, but when the chips were down and they were in the key plays in the red zone, they were making play after play after play and they were making Carr turn back into what we expect from Derek Carr and not what he looks like uh, otherwise uh, when he's going in between the 20s. So I think if you're D'Amico Ryans, you got your quarterback, he looks amazing. You got a bunch of young playmakers, not hugely used here, but you got to be excited about guys like Tank Dell and stuff like that. He was out this game, but even Nico Collins is stepping up. Your defense making big plays, growing week on week, becoming a factor more and more each week. You just got to be excited for that because this is a team that obviously is probably a year away from being a genuine contender, but they could probably make some noise in the AFC South given how poor the Jags have been uh, more or less this year, but we expect them to get better. As for New Orleans, 
like the only positive I take away from this is that Carr looks healthier than he did a couple of weeks ago. He was able to throw the ball deep to a, a deep shot to Shahid, but outside that, this was just ugly, ugly, ugly. And they haven't been a pretty team this year, but even for their standards, this was ugly. Like, you know, missing field goals, turning the ball over, being unable to convert in the red zone, getting flag after flag after flag. I even think one was called on Carr directly on himself. Like, just utter incompetence. And like, Dennis Allen... He knows how to put together a good defense, but I don't think he knows how to be a good great, good head, head coach. And they're just a team that's spinning their wheels. And yeah, their ultimate prize is a wildcard knockout. And even that looks, you know, like a best, like a, maybe a 30% chance between them and the Bucks and the, the Falcons who are all flawed in their own different ways. This is a loss that will definitely sting, and which just turns that empty side into more of a morass. And yeah, it's not, not a division or a team I'm particularly interested in keeping an eye on. They might be relevant by the end just because of where they are, but it's not really uh, anyway deserved of that based on the the merit of what they put on the field next up seattle at cincinnati 13 to 17 cincinnati defense who had two interceptions four sacks and eight tackles for a loss kind of befuddled geno smith who still went over 300 but only had the two interceptions no touchdowns on that yeah they were kind of held in bay with only a field goal in the second half uh, alongside that interception that we said and two turnover on downs as they were trying to get themselves back into the game uh it was interesting it's the first game in a while where Gino's actually looked a little bit lost and I don't know if it's just the Cincinnati scheme or whatever but he was definitely holding the ball for longer than he has in previous games uh, and even into last year even when they weren't playing fantastically well at the tail end of last year we didn't see Gino make these types of mistakes so hopefully it's something he can overcome uh, relatively quickly for Seattle further down the line. Burrow Looked a little bit healthier again. Not a phenomenal stat line, 185 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. They kind of came out of the doors hot scoring on, was it the first two drives to get themselves up to 14 and then only putting in a field goal in the second half to kind of keep the keep the game going. But that was true of both sides, really. Like Seattle scored in their opening drive, then it took till kind of late in the second quarter to, to, to get it up to 10. And then it was already in the second half, they scored the field goal and then just nothing thing from that point onwards just a lot of mistakes there was interceptions there was I, I mentioned i think there was two turnover on downs in this game where they were just trying to trying to keep it going and and, and, and get into contention in it and that was you know cincinnati similarly slowed down in the back end and that was to do with the seattle defense taking away he was just trying to go to chase all the time and they just kind of said well if that's the case we'll we'll just stop you throwing at him then and let you kind of work out everyone else around you a win that Cincinnati needed, I think, because obviously this will mean that they're still relevant in the AFC North hunt. And that's kind of what their target is at this point, is just to kind of pick up a few wins, get themselves healthier and get themselves into it. I think, Sean, you were saying that you were kind of hoping for Cincinnati to be good because the NFL is a bit more exciting than what it is. And I agree with you. I think, you know, I've, for, for years, I was championing Cincinnati on this saying, I think they're going to turn a corner. Like, there's bits of their team that are still just not quite right. Like they're getting... You know they get they're, they're getting some performance out of Mixon, but he's clearly kind of past his peak. He's averaging like three yards a carry at this stage. He's not getting much going on the ground. They could really do with a bit of help there, particularly if they're going down the stretch. And as we come towards trade deadline time and all that stuff, maybe keep an eye out on if Cincinnati do that. For Seattle, I gotta say like. It was just it was just sloppy, and I think it has to do with scheme. I think it's that Cincinnati saw something in how Gino surveys the field or something, because like I said, he was just he was frozen for periods of this. He was holding the ball probably a good second longer than I'm used to seeing him do it. I'm sure they can overcome that, and I'd also sure it'll be different against other defenses. But for Cincinnati, a win that was needed for Seattle, an unfortunate kind of missed opportunity because. 
they were going for it. They just weren't able to figure it out. I think that's kind of right. The Bengals will feel that maybe they slightly got away with this one, even though, I mean, they played better than they have played in previous weeks. It still was a game they could easily have lost, whereas the Seahawks got to feel that they easily could have won, and it does come down to execution. I mean, you come away from a game and you've had three points total, I think, from four or five red zone appearances that you can't win games doing that. It was just, and it was, it was Gino. He was, he just seemed to not have the options available that he usually do or wasn't able to find the guys that he wanted to throw to, which was a shame because the defense certainly seemed to be performed. What it was, as you say, interesting, the offenses started off hot and then both defenses adjusted and suddenly they were the ones that were on top. And ultimately it was that the Bengals had scored more points at the start of the game that got them uh, over the line. From Seattle, the point of view, it, it, it does seem to be execution problems are, are coming up the right situation. They kind of, in crunch situations, this offense, in this game anyway, seemed to go missing. Converting on third down was a problem. Red zone was a problem. The O-line seemed to always collapse at the wrong moment. And Gino always seemed to be scrambling a bit. So I, I'm, I'm not convinced. This, I mean, people were talking up the Seahawks team as maybe being just below that Eagles 49ers category. And I, I don't quite see it yet. I don't think that they've quite got everything that they needed to get to the defensive performance in the second half was very good you got to give the credit there the cornerbacks in particular seems adjusted to what they were facing and caused problems but ultimately you got to be winning these kind if you want to be the best in the nfl these are the kind of games that you got to be winning in terms of the Bengals, i think they have to be happy that the the bye week comes now they've managed to get to the bye week three and three did not look like it was going to happen before that. I mean, that's very much a situation that's turned around. Now, the Bengals did also take have quite a slow start last season as well. So I do wonder, again, if we talk about this in terms of the preseason thing, they do seem to be one of these teams that builds momentum as the season goes along. And by week 12, 13, 14, they seem to be red hot and winning out. So maybe this is what they need right now. They've, they've solved some of their problems and some of their other problems. They can work on the bye week. Burrow can get a little bit healthier again and they can come out and do some things. Burrow, he was fine in this game. A couple of iffy throws. His, I mean, the injury is one thing. He does have a couple of decision-making problems he hasn't quite solved. The run game, as you said, has struggled a bit, and they can't seem to find a way to get it going. The O-line is is a disaster area, but what else is new? I think we just kind of almost have to accept that as like a fundamental condition of the universe that the Bengals will not have a, a functional uh, O-line. But if you want to give the credit for this win, the defense was just amazing. This was I I really like this Bengals defense. I've been kind of keeping an eye on them ever since they 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 had their Super Bowl run because they're a fun team to watch, especially in the secondary. They got some really good guys, but they this was a really really good aggressive performance, opportunistic taking the taking the spots when they needed to, causing problems all over the place. Cam Taylor Britt, I was really impressed with. Not only was he kind of giving DK Metcalf as good as he was getting, but he also came up with uh, at least one interception to kind of to kind of turn that game and and with Awuzie who's who kind of my my guy in the Bengals secondary he's on a bit of a snap limitation it was good to see Taylor Britt kind of step up into that breach so the Bengals the defense is certainly seems to be in a very good place and maybe better than it's been in previous years it's always been good but now it's looking like it could be very good to maybe on the edges of elite if they if they, if they keep up these kind of standards so all they need now is to get this offense clicking again and and I think with Burrow, it is partly injuries. There is also confidence. I think the bye week is going to be perfect for them, and I'm very interested to see how they come out of this. So despite having a really terrible start to the season, the Bengals are very much alive, and I got to think that they, given the Ravens, Ravens don't seem to be in a great place at the moment, they've got to still be favorites for the AFC North. 
in for Seattle, obviously they're probably looking at a at a wild card spot. I can't see them doing much beyond that. I can't see them keeping pace with the Niners down the stretch. They're an interesting team. They're 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 a good team in many ways, but I just don't think they quite have that final X factor to get over get yeah. over the. If, if you want, the, if you want to be in that bracket, you got to win this game. On that lovely note, we always say all games are important, just some games are less important. And Fitz is a fan of those, so we let him handle them in the dump off. Yes, week six of the dump off. It was a wibbly wobbly week. So some interesting games here, but not ones we particularly want to talk more about because the teams in question aren't exactly uh, blowing our minds at the moment. First up, Washington at Atlanta, 24-16 win for Washington. Uh, Washington's defense showed up this week. It seems like every week it's like, was Washington a good or bad? We're not really sure, but three interceptions in this game. They got a turnover and downs in this game. Don't matter. Three sacks, two tackles for a loss. They repelled the Atlanta team three times at the end of this game. It's kind of a theme here. They've lost a couple of reviews there as well. And this was a bad Ritter game. Good Ritter game last week, bad Ritter game this week. Obviously those three interceptions, all of them pretty much completely on him. Just bad play by him. Just Arthur Smith being cut to on the sideline again and again, looking more and more bamboozled, confused, and just utterly irritated by his existence basically throughout this game. At the, the Washington, obviously, in terms of their defense being consistently good, they did the shutdown Bijan trick, 56 yards for the touchdown here. You expect more of that than and, you know, until Ritter can put together week on week on week, people are going to keep doing that. We'll see if they, Ritter can find the, the next level in his game. I don't think so. Howell, very efficient with the play he had. Three touchdowns here, 150 yards. Uh, but basically, they were just taking advantage of short fields. Other than that, they didn't really do that much. Atlanta's defense was not the problem. They had five sacks, four tackles for loss, getting allowed off 220 yards. Not enough when you have Desmond Ritter in this game. Minnesota at Chicago, 19-13 win for Minnesota. A close game, but one which I don't think anyone will want to watch back, uh, including the two teams here. Uh, Minnesota, they win this ugly game as Cousins struggled a lot in this post-Justin Jefferson world. You know, the offense was bad against what is a very bad defense in Chicago. Maybe Chicago's defense is actually getting better? I don't think so, though, to be perfectly frank. Uh, the touchdown to Jordan Addison was probably the only good play Cousins made. The rest of it was just, like, waiting around and hoping because Chicago's offense is so inept that they'd win this game, which worked, so fair play, I suppose. Fields, 104 yards on interception. He was way back to early season fields, looking really bad. Obviously picked up that injury early in the second half, and now big question marks at the quarterback position as you're starting Tyler Bajant, or Bajant, or, you know, the super strong arm, I assume, inherited from his uh, father, who, as you said, is an arm wrestling champion. Two turnovers, including a fumble that went for a touchdown. Not a great start. Not Nathan Peterman bad, but pretty bad. So if it's either him or Nathan Peterman next week, I don't know what that means, but probably not good things. Minnesota's defense, you know, they had good statistics, three turnovers, five sacks, six successful loss, but probably a little bit artificial, let's be honest. I wouldn't be uh, putting the laurels out for that defense just yet. Uh, next up, New England at Vegas. Uh, it's a close game, so we're going to talk about it a little bit earlier, but this was equally unwatchable, to be perfectly frank, to all of the other New England games recently. 21-17 uh, win for, for Vegas, obviously. Mac. 200 yards in interception, uh, he was sacked for a safety on the last play, uh, prompting Belichick to throw his tablet away, and you know, a, a poor craftsman blames his tools. And who could blame and the Scott fabulous Hansen. Microsoft Surface, sponsor of this? <laughs> <laughs> Scott Hansen calling out Bill Belichick that the, the, the sheen is coming off, and now all of the haters are coming out. And, it's not like Bill Belichick has built up a few haters over the years. Now, Las Vegas' defense, despite nearly giving this game up, you know, they, they made the clutch plays. They had an interception. They had a safety. Four tackles, three tackles, a loss. They kind of neutralized uh, New England until New England just basically went, we will now play the most boring style of offensive football of all time. And it kind of worked. They had like a nine-minute drive. Remember, this is when they were down by multiple scores to get back into this game, to make it a one-score game. But it was interminable. But I suppose, you know... 
Ramondre Stevenson actually looked okay. So that's good. That's something. Anything. Please, anything, New England fans. And that's a thing. So you can take that to the bank. I will I will um, say, look, a lot you got you gotta you gotta give some hate to Parker for that terrible, terrible drop. Like oh yeah, he looked confused by the concept of his own hands as yeah. he tried to catch the ball. <laughs> like like, like oh, oh, as bad as bad as New England were, like that was a perfectly thrown ball by Mac. That was probably the best throw I've ever seen him make. Parker drops it and like that's basically the game then because if he catches that they're actually possibly in this one. I wouldn't say it was uh, Tom Brady-esque but it was like Eli Manning in the Super Bowl against New England-esque maybe uh, in terms of just putting in the bucket but uh, so yes, he is Tom Brady-esque. He, 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 <laughs> well, objectively, yes. Mac was better but it still was not pretty and it's still a big problem but I suppose if New England can at least have a functioning offense of any type that is progress compared to where they've been the last couple of weeks. As for Vegas, uh, Jimmy G obviously knocked out. Hoyer came in and was okay. He got them to two field goals. That's about all you can expect from Brian Hoyer. You expect maybe it will be him or O'Connell if Jimmy G misses week seven. Like, it was nothing spectacular, but it was enough. And I think they realized they were in a game where enough is basically the only objective. Uh, that's basically how you beat the at the moment, so we move on. Uh, the London game, Baltimore-Tennessee, probably not great value for the people who went over this week. 24-16 win for Baltimore. Baltimore should have blown out the Tennessee Titans. They were better the entire game, but they just kept settling for field goals. Uh, they were only one of six in the red zone. They had six field goals overall. Uh, and yet, inexplicably, Justin Tucker also missed a PAT. Make it make sense. I have no idea what's He's going washed. on. He's washed. He's washed. It's a weird game. I don't know. Tennessee, they were allowed to hang around by that because Lamar was you know, nearly 300 yards. He had touchdown interception. He just, yeah, he just looked frustrated Lamar throughout this entire game. But the Tennessee defense can be tough, so I don't blame them completely. But yeah, definitely disappointing. As for Tennessee, their offense basically still doesn't exist, whether it's Tannehill or Malik Willis who came in. And Tannehill went off injured. Henry was nearly 100 yards, and most of that came on a big uh, play and a very sporadic overall. They were equally bad in the red zone, one of four. So yeah, Tennessee are bad. Baltimore are better, but Baltimore could probably do without hitting themselves in the face every week. Uh, ideally, to get more of these wins consistently. Next up, Denver at Kansas City. Kansas City, they beat Denver because they're better, but it was not a pretty game on Thursday night. Um, Mahomes, 337 yards, touching interception, but once again, another team that was struggling in the red zone, one of five, including the interception. They had a failed field goal fake. It was just, they, they were just like, oh, we'll just try stuff. It kind of feels like any reach is just trying shit at the moment, just to kind of maybe get a spark there or something that can consistently get them yards and points going forward. But against Denver, it didn't really matter because uh, Russ went back, back to awful Russ. Uh, two interceptions this game, barely over 100 yards. Uh, the Kansas City defense were just having their way with him. They had four sacks, five tackles for a loss, and the three turnovers, and only allowed 200 yards in total. Basically, I don't know what pay. I think Sean Payton trying to deliberately undermine Russell Wilson. I don't know, but he had a play game plan that was like no deep balls, no running. Uh, you, you, you be Drew Brees, Russell Wilson. We know this doesn't work, but he tried it anyway. Needs an ignominious loss for Denver here. Next up, Detroit at Tampa Bay, 20 to six. Detroit dominate because Jared Goff had to step up and just do it because all the running backs are dead. Except for the ones who can block. Greg Reynolds, good blocking running back. Don't think that's a special position of much note, but in fair. 353 yards, two touchdown. Amon Raw got most of that. James Williams had a nice cameo, uh, so that's nice, I suppose. But uh, yeah, they, they, he had to do all of it against the tough Tampa Bay defensive line because the run game was not, not there with Montgomery getting injured. Baker, probably one of his poorest games, 260 yards interception, again, albeit against a very good Detroit defense, particularly along the line. Uh, they couldn't get the run game going, he didn't have that much support, and he's picked up an injury now, a contusion on his non-throwing arm, so a tough day for Tampa Bay, I wouldn't dismiss them, but they're definitely in that tier below uh, the likes of the Detroit Lions, who are continuing to win despite all these injuries, that's what you love to see, and we want to see plenty more of it going forward. Next up, Indianapolis at Jags, 
20-37 yeah, trivial win for Jacksonville. Minshew managed here. He had over 300 yards and a touchdown, but he had four turnovers, and most of that yardage was in garbage time, and he just kept having to throw the ball by the uh, obviously very unfortunate script because Jacksonville got 21 points in the, se in the second quarter. He just kept sailing the balls uh, to the Jacksonville defenses. Not a good move, I would say. Probably work on that uh, over the next week or so, I would, I would recommend. As for uh, Lawrence, he obviously picked up a knock here. He had two touchdowns, nearly 200 yards, but uh, not really asked to do too much given the game script. And Seville will be happy to take this after getting off the plane from uh, London. And they got two wins in London, they get this win. Now in control of the AFC side, so we take that. Next up, Arizona at the Rams, 9-26. The Rams went in the first half. It was pretty tough going. Uh, it was uh, basically Cardinals had the better of the first half, though they didn't put too many points into it. They were only 9-6 up. And then the Rams just start running the ball with Kyron Williams. 158 yards and touchdown. You can just keep doing that, Sean McVay. Well, not, but Williams is out next week. I think running the ball, it's, it's a new innovation. You might have heard of him, McVay. We'll, we'll, we'll see where you go from here with this. Cooper Cup's back. He's nearly 150 yards of touchdown. Accounting for most of Stafford's production. Who's such a challenge? As for Arizona, Dobbs, the sheen is definitely coming off, but he has so little support around him. At 282 yards here in interception, dominated the first half, weren't able to take advantage, and, you know, second half blown out. Unfortunate, but they're still fighting, so that's something. I think you're going to see the cracks slowly getting bigger as we go forward. And finally, Carolina Miami, 21 to 42. Briefly looked like it might be interesting. 14 point lead for Carolina early on in this game. And then Miami flipped the switch. Mostert ended up with 132 yards and three touchdowns. Hill, over 150 yards and a touchdown. They just blitzed the Carolina defense with his ailing with a bunch of injuries for 35 unanswered points on game over. Young obviously showed some flashes early on alongside Chubba Hubbard, who was filling in for Miles Sanders, 270 yards and a touchdown. But outside of throwing the ball at him, Thielen, not really much going on for Carolina. And Miami are just a much better team and much more exciting. And they're the one you want for all the fantasy goals. So that's week six of the dump off. Talk to you next week. Okay, so let's take a look at the games for the upcoming week. Thursday night football, Jacksonville at New Orleans. We've gone for Jacksonville across the board. We might have a last second adjustment to this if Trevor Lawrence's news is negative. But the big but question CJ is... CJ Bettert. Beat hard. Beat hard. It's a dick joke or it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this New Orleans defense has shown itself to be very good at yeah basically the question is can they stop this Jags offense it's been kind of warming up the last couple of weeks the caveat being now on Tuesday when we're recording this we haven't got confirmation about whether Lawrence is going to be playing or not and Vitard does make it a little bit more difficult to pick that said this is a New Orleans team that frankly has stank on offense for the last while we talked about them there in the previews from last week but yeah i maybe cars another week healthier and they get things going a little bit more this is a jacksonville jaguars defense that we have seen can just have like weeks off at a time it could happen but we've gone for jacksonville across the board here yeah like i think we're all a little bit biased towards the jags because they're obviously a young upcoming team whereas new orleans are this like clapped out thing they're still driving and we don't care about it but look there's definitely a world where new orleans can win this game like i think Carr is getting healthier you started to see those explosive like one-off shots to shaheed you hopefully see more of those to alave going forward as well kamara's come back and immediately been back into a starring role in that offense he's added a lot in terms of the short and intermediate as well as being a factor in the run game so i think the offense has the elements to become more consistent as we go down the stretch whether Carr is healthy enough fully on a short week to take advantage of that is another question 
But this is a pass defense that is vulnerable. It can be beat down deep. You saw, you know, digs get open a lot, uh, like in the London game, for example. So if Olave can have a game, then they could definitely be a factor. And obviously we know the New Orleans defense is one of the tougher in the league. They get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They're solid against the run. So they're not, there's no, like they're unlikely to give up a bunch of points in this game. But I don't know, New Orleans are just so uninspiring that you kind of just expect them to probably lose. But there's definitely worlds where they win this game, but it's unlikely to be in a way that's particularly entertaining. It feels like it could be quite a low-scoring game, especially if Lawrence isn't playing. It's a shame the Jags kind of feel like they're finally getting into their groove and now, now to, to lose such an important piece could could stifle the momentum a bit. In terms of the Saints, I mean, I take your word for it that the offense is going to get better, but watching them against the Texans, when they seem to need to get points near the end of games, they just stop playing. Like, I was watching that game against the Texans and I was getting flashbacks of the week one against the Titans where they were doing the exact same stuff and failing to do it. I don't know if I see the evolution in the New Orleans offense, no. but uh, I got to take your word that it's going to happen, like, eventually. Uh, like, when I say better, I mean more, like, acceptable uh, in the sense that <laughs> I think, like, they now have, they have so much talent that I think even with the, the mediocre scheming and Derek Carr, you know, Alvin Kamara, Olave, even Michael Thomas making more of a factor. It kind of feels like they'll find something that works, but still only in the most basic definition of working. Yeah. I don't think they're going to turn into like the, you know, Drew Brees Saints anytime it feels, soon. It feels like a 21-point ceiling team kind of thing. Maybe 24 yeah. in a good day. But if they consistently do that with that defense, they can pick up wins, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, Las Vegas at Chicago. we gone for Vegas across the board. Ugh, I really wanted to pick Chicago, but with Fields out, there's absolutely no chance. This is the backup bowl going to have Hoyer taking on... Is it Bajant or Bajant? I'm not sure. Uh, I Do heard... we have to care? <laughs> It depends. It depends on how bad that thumb injury is for Fields. I think the only person who has to care is Scott Hansen because he's the only guy who's going to have to talk about it. That's so true. That's true. Can we just call him Bagel? Yeah, that's we'll call easy. him Bagel <laughs> until until he wins a game. He's Bagel. We've got look a very very bad Chicago defense who look. I've had a little moments of looking a little bit better from time to time of late, but not much. So like you've got a backup quarterback in behind one of the worst lines in the NFL who I think are down a starter as well. Max Crosby is going to have a huge game in this game, I would imagine. They've also got like no run game because like the Donta Foreman, oh, well now he's going to have to start. Maybe he's going to do something with it. He was atrocious. Uh, he was just constantly texting you guys during the game going like, the pass protection's broken down again. This guy can't stop anyone and the backup didn't do much better. So this is, this is yeah, it's going to be Vegas. It's not going to be enjoyable. Don't watch this game. Cleveland Indianapolis. We got for Cleveland across the board. This defense looked incredible last week. Minchu, like I said, was making mistakes, sailing balls last week as well. So like, this is not a defense you want to do that against if they're coming the kind of form they had in their game against the 49ers. Watson is going to be back, it appears, although the weird stuff around his injury is very confusing. They've said that he's medically cleared and that he wasn't playing and apparently he has some kind of rotator injury that he is taking a bigger he's making a bigger deal out of it than the team want to but also all of his money is guaranteed anyway so what does he care i suppose this is not going to be great because if it's not him pj walker maybe he'll look a little bit better against the indie defense than he did against the 49ers but yeah this is again i, I wouldn't even say one for the purists this is just one for the sadists right if you're going to believe in indianapolis the game you need to believe that Minshew last week that was an aberration that the kind of more solid play he's given as a backup fill-in over the years is closer to what you'll get here because he he was the problem last week against Jacksonville he just kept throwing the ball away sailing the ball just incredibly inaccurate he just needs to get back to short passes 
uh, to Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce and obviously try and get that run game back up going. But against this Cleveland defense, which does look legit and obviously just shut down the 49ers, you'd be worried that, you know, there might be turnovers here. They'll probably won't be able to score a lot of points and that, you know, I doubt the Cleveland brands are going to put up a bunch of points here with PJ Walker or with, you know, Deshaun Watson and his rotator cuff or whatever like that. Yeah, it's probably not going to be a pretty game, but you'd imagine Cleveland's defense is the best unit here and to get it done. But Indianapolis defense is also good, so it could just come down to like one or two plays, really. It's going to be another defensive battle. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I trust the Browns defense more than I trust the Colts defense, and that's kind of enough for me to give them the edge here. Yeah. Now on to a great game. Washington, the Giants. <laughs> we got for Washington across the board. Ronan, tell us about this one. Look, Washington, they're kind of muddling their way to what you feel is like probably a 500, maybe slightly below five below 500. They're okay. Like their defensive line shows up sometimes. Every Howell, second week. Yeah, Howell has been solid. Like he's, like I think you've got something there in Howell if you're willing to build to it. Although you could probably do it letting him sacked a, a fair amount less if you could. So the fact he's performing despite getting sacked on what I think is a record-breaking pace is a good sign for him going forward if he survives long enough to fulfill that. Um, and against the New Jersey, New York Giants defense, which did shut down Josh Allen for long parts last week, but has generally been underperforming. As for the Giants offense, you know, they have Saquon box and so they got hope. They could definitely build on that based on what they did early in the Buffalo game. But it's just, yeah, if Danny Dimes is back, it's just been so horrid. It's just hard to believe in it until I see it, basically. Next is actually your pick of the week, Ronan. Detroit at Baltimore. Gone for Detroit across the board here. Yeah, my boy, Detroit. Everyone loves Detroit. But uh, yeah, like I think obviously this is a close game. Obviously, these are two uh, teams which you would imagine are closely matched in terms of their personnel. Obviously, Baltimore are a well-coached team. But Baltimore, you know, they're coming off the London trip. They're obviously the last two weeks engaged in some incredibly proficient self-harm. Obviously, losing that Pittsburgh game by beating themselves in the face and then nearly beating themselves by failing in the red zone so often against Tennessee. And they now come against the Detroit defense, which is, I think it's growing into something special. I think, obviously, Hutchinson is the, the star name on that defense. You know, he's truly living up to, like, probably should be number one overall pick last year. Uh, but he's wrecking shop. He's getting interceptions. He's getting sacks. He's just a, a force of nature. But I think the big progress that you've seen is that Aaron Glenn, after making some change, like some pretty big changes in the backfield, suddenly has a solid uh, pass defense as well and it's just like once they had that I think the Detroit defense goes from being obviously a huge weakness which it was early on in Dan Campbell era to now suddenly a big factor and then you add in on the offense obviously Jared Goff continues to play really well behind one of the best defensive lines in the league obviously huge concern here would be the lack of run game with Montgomery out can Jameer Gibbs step up did he need to sign someone uh, I don't think Craig Reynolds is the answer let's be frank uh, and against the Baltimore defense which is doing pretty well this year despite all of its injuries you would worry there that like it's gonna have to be Goff and while he's been pretty good he's been good this year uh, there have been a couple of times like the Seahawks game in particular where he he has looked a little bit more mistake prone when, when think the pressure is on but if the offensive line is fully healthy which it looks like it's back to being then I, I wouldn't expect it to be too much of a factor so on the Baltimore side I think the big thing for them is that they've been putting themselves in the position to score a lot of points but then this game I think they're actually going to have to you know turn that into points if they're going to have a chance to keep up with this uh, Detroit team Lamar and this Monk and offensive I think it's honestly I think the early goings are actually fine you know I think they're producing they're getting yards they just need to sort out their shit in the red zone and then get that done and if they do that then I think this could be a team that could turn into an ASC contender down the stretch in my opinion but mm. it's just all like you know you kind of go like that and you're seeing that but then you just see them kind of self hit you harm so much over the last few weeks and you're kind of going okay you need to sort this out and I know they have injuries and they have loads of issues and the, the wide receivers love dropping the ball but they I think they have something here where they could genuinely be building something but I think it's Detroit 
Uh, even though they're coming over to Baltimore, it'll be a tough game, but we're going to favour about Detroit because we like them and because they've shown in adversity that this year they're not the same old Detroit Lions. They can win games even in tough circumstances and they can work through the injuries. And Baltimore, they, they have not done that enough for me this year. So I, I give I to Detroit. Know, I don't know, Ronan. I think you're being far too light on this Detroit team. I think they're fucking fantastic. And I also don't think this Baltimore team is as good as you're giving them credit for. Well, I, I think the Detroit team... Like I, I'm almost low on the Detroit team because I know when they get fully healthy and even things like Jamison William having his cameo this week, when they're fully healthy, these guys can compete, in my opinion, with the top of the table. But I think with the injuries they're dealing with at the moment, I think losing Montgomery is huge. They won't quite be at that level in this game specifically. Ah, yeah, no, fair enough. But I just think, I think you're saying like, oh, like they could come out and get it in the top. I think, I think Detroit are going to come out. I think they've got injuries, so it won't be fully there, but I think they're going to stomp them. Because if, you know, if Sean's going to bang the table and say, I'm the one who believes in the 49ers. (laughs) I had the Lions in the Super Bowl as my preseason prediction, and they are tied atop of the NFC at the moment. And I think they're going to come in and they're going to stomp the shit out of Baltimore. Baltimore are a good team. They're just the not... Ravens have been very disappointing this year. I their their entire well. red zone is they've gone back to running Lamar intentionally because they don't have a fucking clue what to do. I can't recall a good Ravens performance this season yet. That's all I got. I say. think I think they're a little bit undervalued at the moment. I think you know it's not pretty, but I think you're seeing the elements of what could be a a good team down the stretch. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I just don't. Think, I don't think that they. I think Detroit are a class above them. Yeah, we'll see. Sean Buffalo at New England. Uh, you're picking New oh. England, right? <laughs> slowly turns into cheers it's I've given game. up I've given up on this team yes the offense may be t- a tiny bit better than last year but that really isn't saying much and now with the injuries their defense has kind of regressed as well I mean the Bills seem to be frauds and don't seem to return up to play anybody who isn't the Miami Dolphins but it is going to be one of those games where I think the Bills will just will just score enough points. Will they do the bare minimum to get over the line? And I think this Bills defense, albeit even with the injuries, will clamp down on the Pats offense and give them very little. These teams know each other very well, and I think the Bills do kind of have a bit of a psychological edge at the moment. The Pats really, I don't think they have beaten the Bills other than that really weird game in the uh, the weird weather game where the Pats ran the ball 45 times. I can't recall another recent Pats victory over the Bills. So on the psychological level, on the talent level, on the form level to a certain extent, very difficult for me to see a Pat to victory for the Pats in this game. And even if the Bills are having a bad time, I still think they're good enough to win this one. Yeah. So get rain dancing, New England fans. <laughs> Atlanta, Tampa Bay. Me and Sean have gone for Atlanta and Ron's gone for Tampa Bay. This obviously the hope is get Bijan going against this tough Tampa Bay defense. They were, the, I think, they're the most blitz-heavy team in the league at the moment, so maybe they can work something out around that. Ritter is probably going to need to have a bigger game in this one. He had, he's had one or two big ones so far this season, so it might be one of those where the where the run game might not get going. Definitely been a factor in every game, win or loss. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's, he's he's been a key a key contributor to both wins and losses. Baker's obviously going to be trying to have a slightly better game here uh, than he did last week against this relatively tough Atlanta defense. Can he kind of keep the mistakes to a minimum? Is really the the key in this one for me. It's a I think they've got a better balance of actually getting some of the wide receivers involved now, and they do have talent there. My concern would be essentially the offensive line giving them. Of time and Ritter being cool enough under pressure, but I'm just going to shade them slightly. Kind of resent that this is a relevant game because the NFC set such a goddamn mess. Look, like both these teams have very big deficiencies uh, starting at the quarterback position. Like obviously Ritter, he had one good game two weeks ago. 
they obviously hope against Tampa Bay that he can live up to it because this Tampa Bay defensive line is good enough to bottle up Bijan Robinson and we've seen the last two weeks teams selling out to do so and that has led to more prediction for Ritter but it's also led to Ritter making more key mistakes so it's really just like can this Tampa Bay defensive backfield which has a fair few veterans in it and the linebackers as well can they get those big plays those splash plays and get the turnovers that can allow them to eke out enough points to win this game because you know Tampa Bay's offense obviously they got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and we saw some decent production from there early on this in this season but Baker's now picked up his first injury albeit on his non-throwing hand but we know that Baker is not a great fundamentals quarterback so you'd always worry that even just having you know your other hand be a bit dodgy with his style of of play will that kind of like five percent reduction in his efficiency and his accuracy and all those things it kind of feels like he's one of those players that can kind of devolve very quickly if things devolve and you know just as he probably accrues more injuries over the season you'd be concerned about that so i'm willing to go for tampa bay because i trust in their run defense and i don't think baker's quite the level where he's going to turn into a pumpkin just yet albeit against a very tough atlanta defense i don't expect him to do much but this feels like it'll be a close game a defense-led game and that it'll really come down to which def- like big splash plays each team can generate uh, in their in their respective pass games and on their defense I am a little bit worried about Baker in this game. I mean, I, I love Baker. He's he's a he's a great guy, and he, when he on his at his best, he is fun to watch. But he is mistake prone, and this Atlanta defense is going to give him some problems. And if he's got an injury, we've seen how we did see. Wasn't it wasn't last season? May have been two seasons ago, where his form just fell out the window as soon as he picked up a single injury. Like so, I would be worried about that. The, the Bucks are slightly better than we thought, but maybe they're not. I still don't know if I trust them enough. This Atlanta team is boring and Ritter, yeah, but I think at the end of the day, if you're going to talk about mistake prone, I think I think Baker's mistakes are, might be the deciding factor here. Into the late slate, got Green Bay taking on the Denver Broncos. Myself oh. and Ronan have gone for Green Bay. Sean's gone for the Broncos. Uh, tell us about this one, Ronan. Oh, neither of these teams are very exciting to watch now. Green Bay, we're kind of have a little bit more faith in them. Like, you know, they're coming out of Dubai, I believe. So maybe they've sorted yeah. some stuff out. Love can hopefully have got a bit of training into them from the floor to cut out those like stupid Favre type dumb throws and just play more within the system because it's a decent system from the floor obviously from the the wider high Shanahan scheme and then the defense has been solid and you'd imagine against Denver who feels like a team who's on the precipice of a bad enough performance where they can just literally blow the whole thing up um obviously starting probably with Russell Wilson they have a vulnerable opponent here and they get it done but uh yeah look Denver's offense has been mostly okay this year and their defense has been terrible but against Green Bay they could probably get some picks anyway so yeah I I wouldn't know how to really call this but I'm going for Green Bay but uh, it's a terrible game so I'm not really much more to say about it I, i'm just vibing i'm just vibing on the broncos i just i don't <laughs> think jordan love is good that's basically the end of it for me fair enough next up pittsburgh at the rams myself and ronan have gone for the rams sean's gone for pittsburgh it's obviously a question of can pickett and company can get their offense moving uh against this la rams defense that we've mentioned multiple times they have one or two big name players but a lot of like kind of finding sieving they sieving have one for, it's one. It's one big name there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but Name the second one. Civic <laughs> for gold. I know gold Sean probably could, but you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, basically, can they capitalize against what should be a bit of a softer secondary for them to go at? Uh, on the other side of the ball, Stafford is going to be under pressure from this quite powerful defense from Pittsburgh. And will he be able to face the what kind of pressure and stuff to get to get the stuff going? Rams have some injuries to the running back position, as we said, so we might not see as much of a run game as we did last week. My basis for the Rams is essentially Pittsburgh have a very good defense, but have struggled against proper number one receivers throughout the year. And going into last year, that's kind of where their fall down is. And this is a Rams team that has two of them. That's basically my thought process is I think 
the Rams will be able to score enough points even against a tough defense, whereas the Pittsburgh team will struggle to score enough points against a weaker Rams defense. I feel that in the Tomlin era, these are the kind of games that Pittsburgh wins, right? The, the question I have about the Rams is, is, can they win a fist fight? Like, can they, if this game gets pulled into the trenches, which the Steelers are very good at, do you trust a kind of a, a soft, preened, you know, cultured Rams team to be able to get down into the trenches and actually fight? I think this could be low scoring. I think TJ Watt's going to have a big day. And I think Pittsburgh will do enough. They probably rely on defensive scores, I would say, more than anything else. But I can see I can see Stafford throwing some interceptions here for sure. I just don't like watching Pittsburgh. So, And the Rams have been, you know, pleasant surprise. So I'm going to give them the win here. But yeah, you're completely right. Like, Pittsburgh's defense has literally won them two of their games this year. Largely responsible for the third. So that they could certainly win this game. But it'll probably be in a way that will make you want to tear your eyes out. So I don't want to reward them by uh, saying they're <laughs> going to do it. Next up is Sean's pick of the week. The Chargers are heading up to Arrowhead to take on Kansas City, who we have picked across the board. Yeah, I, I picked this game... Partly because I actually really enjoy watching Chargers-Chiefs games. Mm -hmm. The last five, six years worth, even before Herbert, going back to the the late Philip Rivers era, there's just such fun games. I mean, I remember there's been there was a couple of Thursday night footballs. I think back to back years where they were they both ended like twenty nine twenty eight or something. I was going back and forth the whole time. Every time I watch these teams play, they seem to get into if not quite a shootout, then an exciting game with exciting offense that. Ultimately, the Chiefs seem to win at the very end, and we can get into, as we talked about before, the the Herbert anti-clutchness. It does seem to be a factor. He can't seem to, at times, find the way to, to beat the Chiefs. Both these teams are not having the best season they've ever had. The Chiefs, maybe on offense, aren't quite clicking, but this is this seems to be, as I said a few weeks ago, this seems to be the case with this Chiefs team for the past two or three years. They don't seem to look like any great shakes for about the first six, seven weeks of the season, and then they suddenly just get into gear, and they start doing things, and Mahomes start doing wonderful things. And games against the Chargers are often what inspire them to, to play at their very best. So I, I would expect to see a better Chiefs offense than we usually see. I think the vulnerabilities that I talked about in terms of the Chargers defense, the secondary, and I maybe don't still 100% trust this run game. I think Andy Reid is the kind of person who will have that. He will have a big up on the chart, a big drawn circle uh, in the middle of the gigantic hole that the Chargers tend to leave in their secondary and be like, this is how we win this game. I trust the Chiefs to exploit the Chargers' deficiencies a bit more. I just don't know if this Chargers offense is convinced. I don't know. As I said, I don't think Kellen Moore has evolved this offense. And I, I, This Chiefs defense is going some interesting places. It's, it's probably the best defense the Chiefs have had in a little while. I struggle to see how the Chargers are going to get going. I still think it's going to be exciting because Herbert will probably keep them in this game for about three quarters, but I expect the Chiefs to pull away in the fourth. Like it's it's one of those ones where there's still a spark to be found on the Chiefs' offense, but they've got a couple of decent pieces working well. So Pacheco had his breakout game about two games back, still pretty good this week, just gone. I imagine he'll probably have a decent sized role in this offense. Kelsey, like I said, will probably be the be the man. That that circle you're talking about is probably just Travis. This is where you go and just go somewhere in here, and all will be fine. Travis Taylor is in the crowd. Go score some touchdowns. Yeah, I think she's coming actually to this one. So yeah, so get your get your VCRs. I, I do have to say, it's a damning indictment of Minneapolis that that is the one game. That yeah, she's the one game she won't bother with. So far. 
but yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Like, Rishi Rice is coming on a bit quicker than most rookies do for us, but he did still have a couple of drops at the start of the year. Tony's doing a little bit more, but still, like last week was confusing because they just started running loads of weird gadget plays and stuff just to see what would happen because like the, I think the Bucos didn't score till the end of the third quarter the start of the fourth. Like They were just fucking trying weird shit out. Like They even had Tony passing at one point. This is normally, as I said, normally very entertaining high-scoring games. The Chargers have a good bead on the Chiefs but the Chiefs kind of always tend to get the rub at the end. So I imagine that it means that the Chiefs offense is going to have to find a little bit more and other gear this, this week. And that could be that they lean on Pacheco and it works, or it could be that one of the other guys steps up. I'm still waiting on the fuck it, just give Justin Ross more snaps approach, but we'll, we'll see if that comes. What I'm intrigued to see, to see if it changes from previous games is this Chiefs defense is one of the best that we've had in quite a long time. They're incredibly disruptive and that's even with them missing players at the start of the year to see how they can get after and maybe hassle Herbert a bit more I'd expect to see some big defensive plays in this one it's probably more of an emphasis on defense than you would expect from this matchup typically and I think you'd favor the Kansas City defense and you'd probably still favor the Kansas City offense even with Mahomes and co not being quite at the same level you expect from them from previous years so I think on both sides you'd give Kansas City the slight edge but yeah it's close enough that it wouldn't have switched the Chargers completely but if there's a way to lose the game I'm sure the Chargers will find us next up we have Arizona at Seattle we've gone for Seattle across the board the question is what's this offensive line going to look like and will Gino be able to shake off the problems of last week not be quite under as much pressure and make his decisions a little bit quicker either that or they could just swap because we've seen Arizona has been weak on the ground game a little bit so maybe they might do that a bit more Dobbs has looked less good the last week or two as well this Arizona team that were surprising and had the big scalp early on have kind of fallen off a bit now that's not to say they're they're not good they've they've been good and competitive in the games just they've not been able to kind of pull a full 60 minutes together so like if they could stay in this one i could definitely see it i could definitely see them being close to the half or something i just i i've just lost the faith that they're going to be able to to keep it going like for a full game and that's the thing is like seattle even when they have a bad game like last week and that, they're still competitive. They're still fighting at the end. They're still, you know, like I said, I think they're two, fourth uh, turnover on downs when they were trying to push their way through. Like, I trust Seattle to give me 60 minutes. I don't trust Arizona to give me 60 minutes. So that's why I'm kind of shading that way. I'm not sure if, if you have any thoughts on that, Ronan. Pretty much agree. Like Arizona are kind of like, they're fighting hard and they certainly have a chance. But like Seattle feel like a better team and yeah, outside of their offensive line issues, once they're sorted, I think Seattle will be back to being in that kind of wild card hunt. They're vulnerable with the offensive line issues, but I think not vulnerable enough for Arizona to take advantage. Next up, Sunday Night Football. It's my pick of the week. Miami at Philadelphia. Uh, myself and Ronald have gone for Miami and Sean's gone for Philly. This should be a very exciting game. Obviously, Miami on incredibly high scoring pace at this point in the season. They're looking to continue that trend. Philadelphia, while they have an incredibly good defensive line, have shown themselves vulnerable in the back end. So we'll see if they'll be able to capitalize on that. On the other side of the ball, though, this is a Philadelphia team that has shown very strong offensive prowess at times, albeit not consistent. And this is a Miami team that does still have the same problems that we noted, I think, on almost every single episode this season of their secondary just isn't that strong. So maybe this is one where they can get themselves cooking a bit more. Yeah, like the offensive line for Philly as well is missing a starter. So maybe front seven pressure can help alleviate that a little bit so when you look at how well the Jets team played 
and the personnel they had to try and cause Jalen Hurts issues last week and that they kind of had to abandon the pressure route because he's just so evasive. I don't see the quality of players sitting on this Miami defense to be able to actually catch him out. Now, maybe maybe, maybe a scheming issue can change. Maybe running double stunts or something like that would help. But I don't think it's going to be pressure that's going to be the big deciding factor for them. And then that means a lot of it's going to come down to how are their linebackers in coverage? Can they kind of support the right guys? And there's a lot of weapons on this Philly team. The difference is, I just think the track stars in Miami are going to be on show. I think they're going to be able to get a huge amount of deep shots down the field. Tua, if he can stick to his plan that has worked so well for most of the weeks which is essentially get the ball out in half a second don't hold it don't allow them to pull pressure towards you just take a shotgun snap get it out of the hands trust your track stars to be able to get there in time yeah try and pick on what is a not as strong as it used to be philadelphia secondary and i think that's the route to success and if this becomes a track meet on recent form i trust miami to keep scoring more than i trust philadelphia to not make any occasional mistake like we look at the three interceptions last week yes it was against a good defense but yes two of those were just decision making mistakes from philadelphia's quarterback i would agree with you connor i think it's one of those games maybe rarely that injuries actually help it a little bit like the philly defense at its full strength i think would have a chance of holding this miami offense in check a little bit but I think with the injuries that they have in the defensive backfield and they picked up another couple in the last game there as well, you would definitely have concerns that you're going to go into a situation where they're going to have to really let the the dogs loose, as it were, in this game. Because I think, you know, Philly, they've been in very few games this year where you kind of felt like they had to pull out all the stops, that they had to go to the boat race, as it were. And this feels like a game where if they're going to win, it probably will be required. Like they have an elite defensive line that's still going to be a factor. I like don't doubt that. But obviously with the scheme that Mike McDaniel has with Tua, you know, that's probably one of the best schemes to neutralize an elite defensive line, but not as good uh, at the lower layers of your defense. And so you'd imagine that Tua will continue to get the ball out extremely fast to Jalen Waddell and to uh, to Tyreek Hill. And that's going to be incredibly difficult for whatever defensive backs like Philly have found in the back of the cupboard uh, to do much to stop on a regular basis. Now, I'm sure they'll have some stops, but, you know, it only takes one loss, uh, one one moment to lose to Tyreek Hill and to a lesser extent Jalen Waddell. And of course, we know that Miami's run game has been equally explosive this year. I think they have like 11 touchdowns with, with both running and passing. So if they can keep, keep building those holes, I think that'd be, that's the bit that might be a little bit more difficult against this Philly defense, whether they can continue to make those holes in the run game that are allowing Raheem Mostert to go for you know hundreds of yards and obviously A-chan when he was playing, I go for hundreds of yards every single game. So I think that'll be interesting. Can Philly first clamp down on the run game and then can they lean on their pass game? And I would, on average, probably believe that that pass game is explosive enough, even if they don't have the uh, running game complement that they've had this year. Because based on what they did last year, it was often more than enough to win games, even against good teams uh, like Philadelphia. So Philadelphia, if they're going to win this game, they'll need their defensive line to be a major factor, especially in the run game. They'll need to get to uh, off a spot. I think that'll be difficult, given the kind of holes that they'll probably see early on in progressions against this defensive backfield that's banged up. But I think three... It has to be Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts needs to come out. Like, he blew the game last week. It was his fault. No doubt about that. I put it, I don't put all on him, but I put a lot of it on him for losing that Jets game. Come out this week. Show us what you got and see if you can take down a Miami defense, which is, you know, middling at best, let's be frank, which is missing a lot of stuff at cornerback and make this a fun 
boat race game. But in a boat race, I'm probably going to Miami right now. They're, they are from the sea. Uh, they do have the advantage in the aquatic environment. So, uh, but it, if that's the game that happens on Sunday night, um, I think we might have a, a finally a Sunday night football that lives up to its reputation. But eagles can fly over the sea and therefore they can pounce on the dolphins. Something, something. Uh, no, the, the thing that... <laughs> something, something. <laughs> the thing that worries species me... species of eagle. <laughs> about the thing that worries me in this game... Uh, is the Dolphins' defense. I think there are a lot of elite there's elite units, three elite units out there and one not-so-elite unit. And I worry how the Dolphins' defense is going to be able to cope with an Eagles offense that admittedly is not hitting the heights of last season, but still has an incredible amount of amazing pieces. Uh, and I agree with you, Ronan. It does come down to whether Jalen Hurts performs. Is he is he back to last season or can he give shows flashes from last season? Can he avoid the kind of mistakes and the bad reads that cost them against the Jets? But I think if he can do that, I think they're going to score just comfortably just a lot of points against this Dolphins defense, especially given that the Dolphins secondary is not an awful lot to write home about. The other side I think is going to be very interesting both a chess match in terms of the, the coaching and the strategy, but also just sheer physical ability. Can the Dolphins star wide receivers, how can they hurt this, this Philly Eagles, the Eagles defense uh, enough to keep pace? Because I do think they're going to have to score a lot of points. And now we know the Dolphins can score a lot of points, but I don't know if they can score a lot of points against the Philly defense. This is this good. This, when we talk about the, the Eagles, as I said, being whether or not they were back to last year or not. It was the defense, I said, that's further along in that evolution. And I especially think that front line is going to absolutely terrorize Tua. And Tua does not, he's not the guy he wants that you want to be making decisions on the fly. He's very good when the system works for him and he knows what to do, but he's not an innovator. Uh, and so certainly I can see if one quarterback is going to make mistakes, I trust maybe Tua to make more mistakes than, than Jalen Hurts. And I think on the other side, I think Hurts can make a lot of hay against this. I think the Eagles, I think I have to take them because I... I, I trust that their game plan is going to work a bit better than the Dolphins one will. Fair enough. And finally, Monday Night Football, San Francisco take on the Minnesota Vikings, Sean. San Fran across the Yeah, board. there's a blueprint out there for how to beat this 49ers. All we need is an elite defense. Oh, wait, we don't have that. It's okay. All we need is to have our star wide receiver catch loads of passes. Oh, wait, we don't have that either. I mean, I just don't know how the Vikings win this game. Like, I, do, I don't know in any parallel universe how they actually find a way on offense to score enough points or on defense to stop the Niners I mean the Niners struggled against a good defense but against a bad defense where Purdy's going to have time to do things where he he's going to have open receivers to throw to even if they're playing down the line even if he just has to throw it to Brandon Ayuk 40 times during the game they're going to find a way to score against what is not a particularly spectacular Minnesota defense and the offense just is not at all where it was last season, even before Jefferson went down. And this uh, San Francisco defense, when it's on form, can can make teams cry. And I really suspect we're going to watch the Vikings cry. I think this could be a blowout. I just don't see how the Vikings perform well here at all. I would genuinely, if I was the 49ers, be contemplating one or two of the injured players, just maybe actually letting them sit a bit, try a game plan without them and have them in a breaking case of emergency scenario. Obviously, CMC probably isn't going to be playing, I, I would suspect, but maybe even Debo, if he's hurt, maybe a couple of plays just to, to mess, mix things up, but otherwise focus focus on the Ayuk, focus on the Kittle game, focus on the fundamentals, and even then, I think the Niners will blow them out. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Very good, lads. That's that week's stuff. Uh, any plans for the weekend yourselves? 
No, I think it's quiet. Again, as I said, it's a quiet time of year at the moment. There is rugby, but I don't know if I can I can face up to rugby uh, again, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I think Liverpool are playing. Uh, I think they're playing the Merseyside Derby against Everton, so that might be a thing to watch. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, not much going on this this side of the world these days. Mm, very good. How about yourself, Ronan? I'll be heading back up to Cavan. It's my uh, mother's 60th birthday uh, this Thursday. I'll be back up for a birthday dinner on the Saturday. It uh, should be good fun all around. So enjoy. Looking forward to that. And obviously, I uh, love you, Mom. But uh, other than that, probably quiet enough. Just uh, probably try and catch the NFL on Sunday evening when everyone else has gone to bed, probably. Or get it on the big screen like I do at Christmas. Very good, very good. Yeah, no, I'm quiet enough. We get myself, we have a... D&D session on the Saturday uh, so that'll be good fun, have a couple of the lads around the house for that and other than that, yeah, chill out maybe first driving lesson with the missus and, and watch a bit of the bit of the NFL, so so that'll wrap us up for this week, so for now it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan bye, bye from Sean, bye this has been all four quarters, thanks for listening, we'll chat to you next week